three, two, one. Welcome to another Stoned Apes podcast. We are back in this motherfucker again. Hello, fellas. How are you? Good. Good. Three good. motherfuckers good. back again. So we have everybody. We have the three motherfuckers, a side bitch, and some dude called Smoke. Yeah. Hey, how y'all who doing? F- who the fuck are you, man? Um, well, I don't, where do I start? <laughs> I'm the product of a seminal ejaculation and... <laughs> Here I am. We way How'd back. that go for you? Was that all right? I mean, I was the winner. I was the winner in that race, so, you know. Well, good. I mean, that's important to have yeah. perspective. Yeah. So where you hail from, brother? So originally, uh, just south of Chicago in a place called Peoria. It's the uh, same place Richard Pryor's from. He, you know, he grew up in a whorehouse. So, yeah, I know where uh, Peoria's at. Yeah, so <laughs> similar ejaculation, you know exactly whorehouses, <laughs> Richard Pryor. That's where I'm from. I come from where you come from. Really? Yeah, it's Peoria interesting. No, no. Oh. <laughs> Different joke. You missed <laughs> that one. <laughs> same similar ejaculation. Same similar ejaculation. Okay. All right. I'm Probably the same day. We don't know. It could be. All right. <laughs> Uh, but currently, currently, uh, I live in South Mississippi. So why? Well, that's, that's where the <laughs> army left me, and uh, so that, ex- <laughs> that explains your accent, sir, or lack thereof. But but so how it happened? Uh, the army left me there, and there's three reasons to retire there. Uh, you know, I have a college education. I came out of the army semi-fit. That's faded as of late. Uh, and you know my retirement check goes just a little bit further. So if you can't beat them, move to where you can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, shit. fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking forward to this podcast. I'm looking forward to learning a little bit about you. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start it off by giving a big thank you to our episode sponsor, and that is Malevolent Art Tattoo Studio out of Barnhart, Missouri. I really encourage you guys, if you're looking for a tattoo, go see Anthony Ferguson over at Malevolent Art. He is a fantastic artist. I have several pieces from him. Uh, I've mentioned it in previous podcasts. His line work and color saturation is really top-notch. I have not met many artists that are able to color saturate the way that he does. Uh, So if you're looking for a solid color piece or something that's more traditional, if you're into illustrated uh, style tattoos, he is probably the best illustrated tattoo artist that I've had the opportunity to meet. So if you're looking for a tattoo from a quality shop that has professional artists and you're going to get a good experience, Anthony is a great guy to work with. He will customize that tattoo until you are 100% happy with the product. I really encourage you guys to go over there and see him. Again, that's Malevolent Art Tattoo Studio out of Barnhart, Missouri. If you mention the Stoned Apes podcast, you will get 20% off. So make sure that you do that. Uh, Reach out to him. We'll have a link in our description uh, to the podcast that will make sure that you can get over there and get in contact with the artist. So make sure that you sponsor those guys. We thank them for everything that they have allowed us to be able to do with the podcast. So there we go, guys. Sponsorship in the books. Sponsorship in the books. Now we're back to smoke. <laughs> You're an interesting looking guy, man. Well, I appreciate that. My wife thought so. I, I had to <laughs> I had to say I was a little taken when you walked in and I thought, okay. Not what I was expecting. Really? This yeah. is a large so, man. So you're a very big guy. What are you, 6'4"? Six, six, I'm actually 6'1". Six 6'1". One. Six one. Okay, so you look much, but because you're big. What, what well, are you, I'm a fat ass. You're not too fat. Yeah, well, you haven't seen... Well, yes. Uh, well, well, okay, cool. <laughs> That's a nice fitting hoodie is what he's saying. Uh, you're right. Well, I came from, you know... You walk around about what, 250, 260? Man, this guy's generous, isn't he? I'm hitting right about now about 265. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a big dude. 6'1", 265. Yeah, That's yeah. a big guy. I, I definitely know how to put a rear end in a recliner. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I can respect that. Right. So, you, so you served in the Army. You were in field artillery. So yes. my number one question is, how the fuck do you know Sarge? Because that seems like a completely different line of well ish. business. Yeah. So, so you, you saved his ass with some artillery once, and he wanted to meet you? I mean, I've saved his ass, but only in mental pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guilty of this. Well, same. I mean, you, look, you can't spell fag without the F-A. Yep. Anyway, so, I mean, and not, listen, I don't want to offend nobody. Like, if that's what you're into, you do you. It's 2023. Handle your business, right? This is what I will say, though. So... Uh, I got to do a lot of infantry shit over there on the other side of the pond. Um, and what we found out through a mutual program that we went through uh, at Fort Gordon uh, is that he was on one side of the village and I was on the other side. So he was doing infantry stuff over there and I was doing infantry stuff over here, even as an artilleryman, because nobody got to really do their job over there. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I understand. <laughs> funny story: send a I'll, whole bunch of five-five-six downrange, and I have eleven combat artillery rounds, all of which were a loom. So, yeah, and I think yeah. that's something What's I'll explain to the the yeah. the listening audience: is there are four combat MOSs in the United States Army, and that's field artillery, tankers, infantry, and combat engineers. When you are in a combat MOS, you're base job is infantrymen and then added to that becomes your specialization that's why infantry can specialize and become rangers and engineers become sappers and field artillery and so on so um they're an elite group of the army and that's and then we all do the oset do you guys do oset yes. as well yeah yeah Absolutely. so we very similar to like the marine corps and how their training is set up but it's a completely different branch. So now that makes sense how you guys may be connected in that same spot. Well, I did a lot of infantry work as well. Like I spent very yeah. little time being an engineer, right. a lot more time just carrying a gun. Right. <laughs> right. So ironically, we didn't find out we had been around the same places, some of the same people till much later. Why don't you just kind of walk them through your, your career, how you came in, why you came in and how it all kind of played out Jesus and it'll make Christ. more sense. You're talking about a lot of recollection. So, way back when, monkeys turned into... Uh, anyway, um, so I, I joined the Army uh, basically straight out of high school. Had kids and all that and was really going the wrong direction anyway. Whatever, did my little training and, and did what I had to do. Uh, spent my first three years in Hawaii playing man whore, which was cool, right? I had, had fun with that, different... different uh, piece of tail every weekend you know what i mean like they fly in on friday and they leave the following so that was cool uh not even breakfast <laughs> huh? yeah no no your hotel or your hotel that's how this is going down and i had several different aliases anyway i'm not sure if my wife's listening right now but she, she could probably back it all up and, and have a lot of hatred and anger well for you me. weren't married then well true <laughs> uh however um so I got out. I actually there got out. There is a theme. Uh, I got out July 4th of 2001 and actually flew from Hawaii back to Illinois watching fireworks beneath a plane, which is actually kind of cool. Um, but uh, anyway, went into the guard, which was a shit show. I showed up and everybody I worked for was just fat, nasty, and didn't look like they should be military at all. 
uh, and then September 11th happened right after my first drill. And I said, there's no fucking way I'm going anywhere with you fat fucks. This is not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, so went and saw my recruiter or a recruiter and I was like, here's my shit. I need a job, a haircut and some clothes and got my old job back. Brought her with me and our kids, uh, that we had before I left and, uh, went to Fort Hood and, uh, quickly rose up after that when I finally decided to quit fucking around and make it a career. Uh, and then we deployed, uh, January of 04 and that was my first trip. Uh, so... Uh, got to play infantry, right? Uh, lots of interesting stories that happened during that deployment. Most interesting uh, was December 30th of 2004 when I decided to play football with an Iraqi mortar. They threw it to me, and I tried to catch it. Not recommended. <laughs> Tell them how that actually went down, because that's kind of interesting. Um, so we had moved into a place called... Uh, the hell is a, it, they turned it into a fob um what the hell was it? anyway we just moved in there we'd only been there three days it'll come to me Kalsu, camp Kalsu. Yep. uh we had just moved in with like we were supposed to be going home but my battalion commander's dad was the former army chief of staff so of course he's looking to get his stars whatever uh and i won't bring up his name i, I don't i don't need that kind of heat coming back to me but anyhow him and i didn't get along um and there was no reason for us to be going there because we were supposed to be going home. We hadn't been extended yet. So we'd only been to this place for three days, and uh, we were setting up artillery pieces. And the way they're set up, you have to do something called max tube elevation, which is raise it all the way up in the air uh, to make sure that you've got clearances and yada, yada. A lot of geometry. Anyway, um, <laughs> when we put three gun tubes straight up in the air, it told the bad guys where to aim. And... Uh, so we're all standing out, it's me, my platoon sergeant, and my platoon leader. And uh, we're standing out there, and we're just bullshitting, talking about whatever. First mortar goes off, and my stupid ass, instead of doing what I was supposed to do, which is seat cover, that's what you do. Yeah, I just pointed at it, and I said, it's over there. And the second one decided to hit me, because I was an idiot. So it's kind of karma, right? So I get hit with the second one, a bunch more come. Uh... All my guys, like every one of us, got kind of screwed up. I mean, it's it's kind of a detailed, long story, but I don't want to eat up too much time with it. Uh, anyway, this guy named Hazelwood come over, uh, and he was a fister, which is uh, those are the artillery guys that actually run with the infantry, and they call for fire. He comes over, and he says, if you don't shut the fuck up, you're going to bleed out. And uh, I said, that's not how you reassure the casualty. You're, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a smart ass welcome to the club you even while i'm bleeding out right <laughs> so anyway they get me all loaded up and they decide to shoot me full of morphine which is when i found out that i'm allergic to morphine oh shit so that's wow. a cool thing to figure out when you're in pain um anyhow uh, get brought to the Baghdad cash, yada, yada, yada. I get taken out of country. It is what it is. That was my first trip. Um, go back to Fort Hood, have about seven or eight surgeries to put me back together. Uh, finally get all that done, and we come back down on the patch chart to deploy again back to the same area. Show me your arm real quick. Well, I mean, they can't see it. Can, can. you all see it yeah. out there? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's pretty... That's pretty mangled. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's cool, though. It That's is not, what it is. I wouldn't necessarily guess a mortar round. Well, it was a lot of surgery. 
<laughs> I mean, it was a thing, like bear, a bear bite. <laughs> I mean, you know? we could do that. I could tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that would be sh- way cooler. I he fought f- a shark. He fought the cocaine. <laughs> oh my god! Then you'd be like every guy. You'd <laughs> be every bear. guy at every I mean, bar ever. Right. Saying I caught a mortar yeah, is a pretty yeah, that, like, that crazy scar story just came from but, a bullet wound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking shit, man. Um. Anyhow, so uh, my battalion commander, new battalion commander. Uh, he didn't want to take me on the second deployment, but I was like, I, I mean, I kind of grew up with all these guys. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going. And he says, well, you have to go get permission from the division surgeon up at CAV headquarters, uh, who's a full, full bird colonel. And I get up there, and he's looking at my paperwork, and he says, yeah, I'm not going to be able to clear you. At which point, I came across his desk and pulled him to my side of his desk and said, you're going to sign this fucking paperwork, or both of us are going. One of us is going to the 15th floor. And the other one's going to the ER. Your choice. So he signed my paperwork, and I deployed for a second trip. Yeah, so that was that. Did 18 months that go. Um, or 15, I'm sorry, 15 yeah. months that go. Uh, and came back from that. They made me a recruiter. Uh, <coughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm that guy. This, that was actually that, pretty good. That seemed very fitting. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was the same thing, right? Kid comes in. I come to his side of the desk, pull him to mine, say, sign right here. Or, and I put a lot of people in the army. Uh, <laughs> that's, I'm, it's a joke. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Right? Investigations, I don't need that. Right? Um, anyway, finished Allegedly. Up. Right, right. Allegedly. Uh, so I finished up my recruiting trip, and they sent me to Fort Lewis. Uh, I'm up there in Washington State, which is actually kind of cool, but kind of terrible. Uh, it's a very depressing place to be. Uh, I liked it. But it's, well, a you lot like of people chaos, do. Bro. I didn't because it rains all the time. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of that. Like, I like sunshine and right rainbows and unicorns and shit like that, you know. Um, anyhow, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's full of liberals. Like, and not that I'm uber conservative at all by any means. Like, I don't left wing, right wing, same fucking nut, right? Anyway, uh, but they like their guns, which is odd yeah right uh anyway left that and ended up to in camp shelby mississippi and told the wife i said this is it through done and uh a lot of us go through our whole career denying there's anything wrong with us we're good right we're good we're good we're good and then certain things started to happen you know not sleeping right you know and just just bad karma and while i was at lewis i'd made a trip to afghanistan which was fun uh and while there, because background doing all infantry crap, uh, I got pushed as an uplift platoon for an ODA team, uh, which... It's a special forces <laughs> alpha team, so a 12-man special forces team. Fair. Uh, so, end up an up, uplift for them, and whatever happened in Afghanistan happened in Afghanistan. I'm not going to get all in the weeds with all that crap. Uh, anyway, uh, get through with that. Like I said, get to Camp Shelby, Mississippi, and things start to not function properly. Like the wires are in, in the brain, right? The animal brain. And if, if y'all are, ever do get Doc Rig on here, that would be awesome. But yeah. uh, so I end up going to this FRP program, which what's that shit stand? I don't even remember. Functional recovery program. That's it, right? And it's for like TBI and PTSD and all this stuff. And that's where I meet. Uh, Sarge and uh, we're sitting at the table and of course you meet guys right and you're like this motherfucker's full of shit right that's all you ever think when you meet new d- 
dudes, right? Now. Especially in a program like that. Yeah. Right? On Fort Gordon, Georgia, right. <laughs> which is the home of the Cyber and Signal Corps. So it's a bunch of radio operators and computer nerds for the most part. Dealing with the drama of radio silence. Well, which ironically had the best traumatic brain injury program in the Army. Right. For some reason. Um, yeah. Well, so anyway, we meet in that program. So that's how we met. Uh, and then while I was going through that program, uh, I actually ended up getting referred to another program, a six-week outpatient program at Walter Reed in Bethesda uh, for PTSD and TBI. So, um, but anyway, so he's kind of been, Sarge's kind of been my rock. Like when shit gets stupid, that's who, my wife will call him at 2 o'clock in the morning and be like, you need to talk to your boy. Uh, yep. <laughs> Uh, but he did bring up, he, you probably heard of this thing called survivor's guilt and stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I never had that. What I had was a, a guilty feeling of not feeling guilty. Yep. Um, oh, and, in the program when I talked, right. About it. And so what really, what really kind of cemented our relationship to the point where he can make a phone call and say, I need you here now. That's the end of the conversation. I'm just on my way. And vice versa. Uh, anyhow, uh, but he actually said, shed some light on that whole thing. Because I never had, like, I just felt like I should feel bad about some of these things, right? Uh, and he kind of brought it up very point blank and blunt to the counselor that we were talking to at the time. And he was like, fuck that. It's evolution. And I was like, this motherfucker's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's what sold it. Fucking That's rocket what surgeon sold it. right there. I'm following this guy anywhere. <laughs> Because that's really what it is. It's I don't feel bad about it at all. And that's what was making me feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to feel a certain type of way because that's what they say. Society, you know, they're like, oh, you should, you know, you should feel. It's like, no, I don't feel like that. You're just fucking weak. But then I felt bad for feeling that about people. And when he said that shit, it was like fucking light bulb. Well, and it's, if you look at the uh, work the Killology Research Group has done, General Grossman, he wrote On Killing, On Combat, a bunch of books, but they talk about statistics of people firing throughout wars, and they've in-depth studied physiological things that happen to people, psychological things that happen to people, and it's actually a very small percentage of people who, in any other career where it was being analyzed, they would say you were a sociopath. But it's usually where most feeder stuff for special operations and snipers and stuff like that happen because you can kill people and not feel bad about it and do the job and not feel bad about it. However, the difference, but that's where the term sheepdog actually originally came from was Grossman because he goes, well, if that were true about these things, we'd have a bunch of serial killers coming back from combat when in fact a lot of those people now – Dude, I am a syrup. I'll fuck up some Lucky Charms. Well, yeah, I know. Okay. Like, like, <laughs> I'm getting twisted. I know. All right. That's fair. That's fair. As the official fact, but, I appreciate uh, that. But they've come back and that's right. produ been product have productive lives and right. been productive members of society. And it's that's where the term sheepdog actually initially came from was Grossman. And I had read all his work before we were in that program. Yeah. So that's why I was like, no, it's evolution. It's evolution. A lot of the other people you see in this program just evolved one way. And for whatever reason, in my DNA, I've evolved or devolved back to being able to deal with that. So fuck that. 
Well, and, and you know, more to the point, like going into all that, and it, it kind of turns into a, not only is it an evolutionary thing, but you, you kind of put those people in your shoes, right? Like, given what's going on today, like let's say China just decides to bring some people with their stupid-ass party balloons, right? Whatever, right? If China invaded the United States or Russia or the fucking Congo, you pick, right? Uh, your average civilian will stand out here and be like, oh, I'll defend my rights. Oh, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, can, do you really have the charisma? Do you really have the character? Do you really have the ability? You know, capability and ability are different things, right? Everybody's got the capability, but do they have the ability? You can almost argue people don't have the capability, too, though. Mm. I don't know. I mean, if you own a gun, you have the capability. But do you have the ub or hammer or screwdriver or Fair broken enough. piece I, of yeah. glass, right? Like you you have the the tools. But do you have the 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 what what's what am I looking for? Like prowess, physical prowess, presence, no. mindset, um do do you have the fortitude I, I don't know it's a big well, word like man it's not just fortitude it's be, it's being able to do it and not only do it once but deal with consequences and to carry on to carry continue. on through that process right yeah. and and uh, whatever so it's kind of like uh it's kind of like but either way you have to look at it like they're over there doing what they do and you were sent over there to do what you do um and, and it's really just me or you that's what it comes down to. And I'm going to go home. I got a family. And you got a home. So if I'm better than you, I'm just better than you. And and the problem I had was not feeling bad about what that other person was, or the, I guess their family or whatever. Like, I felt like I was supposed to feel a certain type of way. Right. Well, I think this ties into something that we've talked about on the podcast a few times, but... I think we can elaborate on it a little bit more right now, and that is understanding how much biology plays into who you are as a human, right? And we don't put any thought into what type of biological survival traits were necessary to allow the human species to be able to adapt and survive and to be able to reproduce and to grow. And the DNA that was passed down to us, that code is super important and what we're doing today in society is we're taking some of these traits like adhd adhd would have been an incredibly good trait to have if my was living out in the woods trying to survive absolutely i would never want to sit still i need to be productive all the fucking time nothing could ever be good enough. But it's not even a need you know you have to. think, you think, have to. think yeah. about ocd when you're fighting for your life and survival you can't fuck up you have to be perfect Mm -hmm. Right. And then now we're calling these things disorders. Right. Well, aggression is the same thing. Being an alpha male is the same thing. Some of us come from a lineage of alpha males and then we're born that way. And that's a biological thing. And there are certain behavioral traits that come along with that. The ability or the desire to assert your will, the, the leadership. Right. Uh, empathy, things that were necessary to ensure that a tribe could survive, right? And, you know, I was, I was thinking about that like last night. We were sitting in Muay Thai, 
And uh, I was given a demonstration to uh, my youngest boy. We were talking about elbows because he was trying to elbow the bag and he wasn't understanding where to hit with elbows. And so I'm walking him through like how elbows are actually used and why you're striking. You know, the difference between a smash elbow a versus elbow. a cut elbow, yeah. right? And what you're trying to do when you're pressing the skin against the bone and how you're creating the lacerations, you know. And, and I'm going into detail with this. And, you know, obviously I get excited because I enjoy that shit, Right. I like to hurt people. That makes me you like the science. That, that makes the, me the no, so. no. I'll take that a step further. I've learned to control those urges, but the real truth is, I love to insert my will on another human being. But Jordan Peterson talks. About I that. love yep. fighting. I love to win. I love to watch somebody just wilt under me, because yeah. that gives me a fulfillment. Now, I have to be responsible with that. That's not socially acceptable. That's not being a good human. But the desire is, that's my biology. Well, that's that, like Joe just said, Jordan Peterson's thing. Uh, a dangerous man, like a good man is, a dangerous is not man. a weak man. A good man is a dangerous man who's they tamed it and can it. keep it in check. You should right. be a monster that's absolutely terrifying that can control it. Yeah, we live in a world, though, where they're telling people that these behavioral traits are somehow bad. And we're saying, well, you shouldn't be that way. Well, it, you it shouldn't feel a white that way. Man is bad. Instead of putting them in balance, <laughs> right? Or a man to put in it in appropriate space with responsibility. Well, I think that there are things to embrace. Everything is, we've taken self-responsibility away from everything. Right. And we don't. As a society, we don't put emphasis on educating people, one, on how to control their emotions, how to control themselves, and to put themselves in a checkable box that they can navigate life with. Right. Uh, you have because these traits. Here's how you, can, here's how you can navigate life with this as who Because that's are. what people don't understand because that's what the responsibility is, right? So you take somebody like myself, if, I have to, if I'm in a situation where there's a potential for a physical altercation, right? I have the responsibility in knowing what I'm capable of doing to that other human. I know this. That person doesn't have a clue, most likely, right? And I have a responsibility of going, is this necessary in this situation? And then if it is not, I only have one choice, and that is to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right? Because there's no way that's going to be okay. Right. Right. Unless there's a valid reason. But that's the responsibility of the person that is in that position. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that we don't talk about that enough. Yeah. Well, the old cliche hours ago with great power becomes comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Right. If you have the ability, that doesn't mean you have to uh, use the ability. Yeah. We, we joked. We joked about that last night because you always refer to it in jits. You can you know, you murder. All right, yeah. murder, right? And it's like, it's so funny how at this environment, murder is such a socially acceptable thing. Right. Because that's exactly yeah. what we're actually doing. Yeah. Right? And it's like, we're simulate, just training to murder people. Simulate murder. Simulated murder. Over and over and over and over and over again. Until you get really good at it. And bored over the <laughs> <laughs> I need to find new ways. Yeah, you're like, you have to find new ways to kill people because the other yeah. 20 are not that interesting new ways anymore. to not get killed. <laughs> Because you're getting killed just as often as you're killing. And it's, exactly. And so it puts you in that perspective. You know, it keeps that, that check in also. You, well, and, I, well I, and, and we talked about that too, and it ties into what they were saying earlier is 
warrior mindset. I think that that's the, maybe the key. That's the word that we're looking for. Some people are born with a warrior mindset. And we talked about that in the gym. There are some people that can come in. I know guys that can train that are fantastic. They are not fighters. They get into a ring, they fall apart. Some people get out there and they can't take the pressure. The, the fight, it just ends them. And then there's other guys that they look kind of okay in the gym. And then they get in the ring and then they just blow you away. You know, some people have it. You know, it's crazy. Like you've said it to me before that I get intimidating when I'm sparring, like something about me. And I was like, nah, you're just being nice. Well, Sean said to me about a month ago, we had done, we had done some work and he said something about, uh, that's when we were talking about that other guy, the kid and all that stuff. Um, but I made some reference. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll let you handle that. Cause I'm not gonna go in there and just intimidate him. He goes, no, he goes, it. He goes, I don't care who you go across from. He goes, you get a look, and it's that killer instinct. He goes, anybody no. who's been in there can see it. I, need, you know, I only need one second. I'll tell you everything I need to know about the guy I'm fighting. The first punch, the first time I hit you, the reaction that comes back to me, the look that comes back to me, it's going to tell me everything I need to know about you. And if I get the look, that's like I told you that one day. When I accidentally hit Joe with that elbow, when that look came back to me, that chilled me to my fucking core. <laughs> that guy's a fucking killer. And I went, danger, Marshall, dude. Like, I wanted to run the fuck out of the room. Right? No, you know. And you hit the other guys, and you see it, and you watch them wince, and you see the, the chill, and you're like, ha, 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 you don't got that. Come here. You know? And there's a difference. And that's why some people, they got it, and some people, they just don't. And that comes back to, I th really believe that's biology. I think that's your DNA. That's you either, you come from warrior DNA or you don't. Well, I, I, I want, I'd like to caveat that. Like, I, I fully believe there's an aspect of that that's, that's biological. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, and I'm a big person on there's a reason that sayings exist, right? Um because there is environmental aspects of all of that too, right? Like, I mean, for, I hate using this term, but you could have beta males throughout your lineage, right? But if you come up in an environment where you have to fight daily to survive, um, that, that, that creates a chemical change within the mm -hmm. person. Well, it's nature versus nurture. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. that's why we are the most. That's why we are the dominant species on this planet is because of our ability to adapt. Right. So I think that understanding a little bit, and, and hopefully I don't mess this up too bad. I'm not a scientist, so I, I'm I'm going to try to explain this the way that it was explained to me. Is when we go through certain adaptations, just like working out, when I put my biceps under a certain load, my body will adapt and it will add muscle to it to grow to be stronger so that it'll hold that load, right? Yeah. Mentally, we do the same thing. That's why we have triggers, right? Those are actual neurological pathways that have been programmed into our brain for functions, right? And so when you have somebody who grows spiritually, mentally, physically, right, and they adapt, there are physical biological and genetic changes that are occurring in the body right. so i believe yes that dna if passed on would carry those new traits with it so yes you could go from being a beta to an alpha and then pass off from that right. alpha those chemical changes but so, it can also go the other way 
Correct. You can have one generation of an alpha that doesn't live up. And that that lineage goes the other direction. Well, and, and then so, social cues, like, and that's currently what's happening. Uh, again, another saying, you know, strong men create weak times, weak times create weak, weak men, men, weak men, weak men create, create weak, weak times, so on and so forth. I mean, weak men create strong men that have to right good times. And so, Cyclical policy. Right. And, and, and again, like I said, you know, there's a reason that these sayings exist. You know, I'm a firm believer there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's just, like you said, that cyclical aspect of the way things go in, in my opinion. And well, you and know, that in 325, it gets you on the subway. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and to go back to, to talk about things, have, how they can uh, more the environmental changes. So if you look at the way the military used to train World War II, most of the training leading up to that was very, hey, we're shooting at round targets on KD ranges and things like this. And this goes back to what Grossman did with the Killology Research Group. Right. They realized the the rates of fire actually physically shooting at the enemy were incredibly low. People pulling triggers, aiming at the bad guy. There was something called... Uh, there's a couple ways that it encourages people to do it. Like they would fire basically because all their buddies were shooting, but nobody was aiming at the bad guys, so to speak. Um, and they found that a lot of people with any kind of scoped optic, like the snipers, it created something called mechanical distance where it, where it made it unreal a little bit. Well, skip forward to around Vietnam, they started using the human silhouette style targets. Cause that's basically what you see when you're focused on a front sight. It's actually another reason why when the military went to optics like the red dot optic and things like that, aside from another, a bunch of other <coughs> positives to that, it allowed for mechanical distance and even the indoctrination and basic training where all your cadences were talking about killing. Um, and they even said the military, uh, there's a lot of stuff right now with video games where they're saying they've landed on a lot of the active shooter things that have happened because the desensitization that happens with how graphic they are and things, but they're like, they're very useful if the military's using them because they have training simulators that are very similar to a lot of video games. Oh yeah. But (laughs) that's the training, the person who doesn't necessarily have the biological proclivity to do it, to be able to perform the job. What they don't talk about though, is for all those people who aren't biologically wired that way, that's where you have a lot of the psychological problems, and that's why when I well, was in there and said, "That's why it, you talk about the non-combat arms guys." For instance, ending up with it was way higher ratings for PTSD and whatnot, because some of us, those of us that are wired, where it's like I don't feel bad about this, uh, we're just in there like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good." Well, and it's the understanding, which I really wish we had. Well, and that, that actually makes sense. I never really put that together. You will have a certain type of person that would act, would, that would be more likely to go into certain job fields. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I would think that if you're going into the military and you're even thinking about going into a combat arms, that you're probably already somebody who at least has that well, mindset. So having been a recruiter from the recruiting aspect, I mean, I was a very successful recruiter. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I sell ice to Eskimos, I say, you know. Uh, but I was a very successful recruiter. Um, I mean, the ASVAB, the test in and of itself, is kind of geared that way. Yep. So you take the test, and it outlines what... Discipline? What? Yeah, sort of. 
Uh, oh, I yeah, mean, I forgot you, about that. You, you kind of get the illusion of choice. They have a, com- yeah, they it, have it, a combat it, identifier. Yeah, it's like a personality identifier, right. and it puts you into a... It's an gives IQ you test jo- yeah. with a psychological yeah, test. Yeah, and it, put, it gives you like what job field you'd be most likely qualified for. And, I, I remember that. And, I forgot all about that. Right, and what you would do well in. And then it's combined mm-hmm. with, with your physical... Uh, that you you know that you do when you get to the MEP station. It's combined with that to say, okay, well, mentally you might be able to do this thing, but physically it's probably not something. And that's where the recruiter kind of comes in as a guide. I mean, and this is stuff like you go to school for eight weeks to learn kind of how to not really sell it, but sell it. Like, you know, this kid may come in and, and, and want to do all kind of cool guy stuff. Uh, but you look at him and you're like, Dude, if I farted on you right now, you'd fall over. Like, this is probably not where you need to be. Right. <laughs> airborne Ranger is not year one. Not right? an Airborne yeah. Ranger guy. We don't want you yeah. to carry it away by the wind. You know, and I mean, and, and, and there, all of that stuff is able to, to, for them to overcome on an individual level. But, you know, people are lazy. It is what it is, you know. But you try to coach them in the right direction. And it really becomes about that from a recruiting standpoint. Um but, but you can take that test and analyze the person. And I always told myself I would never put anybody in the Army that I wasn't willing to go downrange with because I've already been down there twice. I don't – look, you came in for college money. Cool story, bro. It's time to go earn it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and that's fine. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Well, but, and I, that speaks on something you said earlier that I wanted to circle back on because I, I one thing is I, I definitely – <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to alienate any of our audience. But I, I had mentioned before when I was went into the Army in 99, it was not like the Army is today. You know, we were a bunch of glorified frat boys. And yeah. we, we didn't – look, yeah, we, yeah. hey, we, we, were, we were not soldiers no. to what we would think of as a soldier today. And the National Guard was considerably behind the active Army at that time. Absolutely. Okay. When I went before we deployed to Iraq in 2003, they did significant up training for us as active duty soldiers to get us ready. Right. We had trained for almost six months yeah, before same. we deployed. Well, and because they, they knew, there and they stick hey, you with contracts because they knew right. we weren't ready. Yeah. Okay, so that was active duty 2003. Yeah. Now the National Guard at the same time. So I get out. I go into the National Guard and then I come back to Missouri into the National Guard. Well, they get orders to go, a 12-month contract to go. When they get to Fort Benning, they extend their contract to 18 months because it took six months of additional training to get them ready to redeploy. We used to okay? be the guys who made that yeah. assessment. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's what I did so at Camp There Shelby. was a considerable <laughs> lack of training at that time. And so the stereotypes that you have, National Guard versus active duty, 100% real at that time. Now, the military today is a well-oiled combat machine compared to what we had well, at that time. Well, I, I mean, it, well, it was compared. or is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it is definitely more suited for that. And so in the National Guard units now are much more suited for that because they've been on several deployments. Because and they of ran the through ACRC the, program. Right. right. You know, they... Um, so that I don't believe that stereotype is true anymore. I think there's been a lot of evolution in the military. I, I, I would submit that... So around Camp Shelby... Uh, down in Mississippi. It's, he still lives there. Yeah, I mean, well, I... I, I, Why? I, I well, <laughs> again, three reasons. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of, of, of guard guys who have retired, um, and, and, and a lot of guys that are still in the guard. And, of course, you know, we're the type of folks we kind of gravitate towards like-minded people, right? And uh, 
you know, <clears throat> they're still military. Uh, so you, you kind of end up like, I know a lot of these guys. And what I would say is that the guard today is not the guard that I was in. And I would almost submit to you that most of them probably train harder than active duty guys, honestly, because th they live together, legitimately live together right. more so than active duty. Well, and so this I mean, these guys grew up together. They went to oh, high school together. So being you know, I never considered their, that. Their, their nephew is in the same guard unit. They're, yeah. you know, this is my experience when I had to do that stint. <clears throat> I did, I did a three year stint training national guard and reserve. Joe did too, but we kind of did it on, Different two different times. in different echelons because where I was, I was a mobilization station. So basically, right before the guard units deployed, they got sent to us for their final training. And I did a bunch of liaison work and other stuff. But I've seen great units, great guard units, and I've seen ones that are absolute trash because sometimes that they work together thing and live in, in and around each other kind of backfires and. I made this joke to one National Guard kid who he was an E4, but he ran a business back home and his sergeant major worked for him. <laughs> right. So there were lots of issues there. But uh, he tried to tell me they were just as good as us when I was running a shoot house. And uh, I said, have you seen the movie 300? <laughs> and he, he said, sure. I said, okay. I said, you know that part where the uh, Spartans come across uh, the, the other the Athenians, the Athenians and, and, the, and he's like, hey, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a, I'm a baker. And he's like, okay, I'm a, uh, I'm a butcher. He goes, Spartans. And they're all like, whoa. And I'm like, okay, that's the difference. Right. I'm not soldiers. saying you're not doing work here, <clears throat> but to ignorantly think that for one week in a month and two weeks a year and then your mob time – you are as effective as guys whose their job it is to get up and do work, especially guys to go into my buddy Mo. I'd love to have him on the podcast sometime. He's ever out here. Silver Star winner. He's in a couple books. He He's like, look, man. Uh, he's like, when the military needs gangster shit done, they get gangsters. <laughs> He, he's he's like you don't so. see you you see units get moved into areas to do specific things like that's not a oh you're on the patch chart throw shit at the wall and see what sticks like they know who they're sending in to do what sometimes in the pre-training load up the stuff they're doing they're evaluating units to see who they're putting in the shot to go into the worst areas and affect outcomes right. i know you've seen it because you've oh, yeah. seen that happen at conferences oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been to the council but that being said i've worked with excellent guard units who i was like these guys are top notch they're they're receptive they're they're <clears throat> professionals they're everything else and i've worked with ones who were like yeah 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 we're good and they get their state tag to sign off on a memo saying they did all this training and all they care about is barbecues so individual experiences may vary yeah you know? but there's active units like that too right yeah, there is well <laughs> right. there is there is not but, all units are created the same right. there is but this is why i'll submit to you so here's some context during the height of the global war on terror 0.45% of the population served that was army navy air force coast guard marines active and reserve less than at one half of 1% less than any war we'd had in history if you break down i don't know what the combat arms break is but the the infantry breakdown holding the last 100 yards was 0.0001% of the population now if you extrapolate that about across combat arms cuz the rest are a little bit smaller 
we're such a small fraction of the giddy up and go right and and so i submit like those units i've never been to a slacker infantry <laughs> unit never i've never seen a now i know i get the party thing back in the day but even then i was in the field two weeks of the month yeah, but, you know, statistically, though, what you just said backs up what we were talking about with biology. Right. Right? Alphas shouldn't be a surplus, right? There's a territory they that comes with that. They can't be. They can't be, right? One of the biggest challenges that I've had in my adult life is being in the presence of other alpha males. Well, this relationship that we have is very unique, yeah. right? It's polarizing at times, but it's unique because of it. But, you know, and oh, I give him a shout out. You know, I have uh, my good friend from the military, uh, Nick Moore. He lives up in Michigan. And uh, he, um, his birthday is today. So happy birthday, Nick. <laughs> but he is the greatest example of this. Me and him are really good friends. And when he is the epitome of alpha male, okay, he is a six foot two, 215, 220 pound strongman competitor. Okay, he's a monster. This guy can grab a 160 pound keg and walk across the room and like pick it up with one hand. Like this dude is huge. Okay, and when I was friends with him uh, in the military, I was definitely a beta, and I felt very well with that. And then when I evolved out, and because of the martial arts and because of who I became in life, and I transitioned to an alpha. And me and him in the same space are incredibly polarizing. I'm going to challenge you on this real quick. You were a fucking sapper in the army. I was a beta brother. Statistically, you may have had traits somewhere down in there to get through that suck and deal with something where there's a selection process and everything else. Well, and you get to the animal brain. It, it, and that's what I was going to go to. So the animal brain, this is the biggest thing we learned about PTSD and how it really pisses me off, how it's stigmatized. What people don't realize, this is what Doc Riggs said in day one of our functional recovery program. He said, listen, nothing is wrong with you guys. What happened was because of a bunch of trauma and like I, we, I've said before on here before, it's like real life. You and I have had conversations about it. Well, we've all had conversations about it. Your your brain got rewired to just be, hey, you're back where there's saber-toothed tigers everywhere and you got to go forth in that environment, but your brain doesn't understand geography. So when you get home, a lot of people where they're hitting the ground or the stigma, Hollywood and the media has stigmatized PTSD into something it really isn't. Parts of it are true, but so hypervigilance. I'll give an example. My wife was making fun of me uh like last summer, because bees, right? They fly. I'm slightly allergic, but that's not why. When they zip past your head, I'd get pissed off. I'm looking for something. I'm swinging. He's even seen it. I do it too, right? Because <laughs> because ridiculous. the stimulus, the animal brain reacts faster than the okay, human. I haven't seen this. Then the human to, brain. Somebody needs to alert me next time this goes. No, down. wait. Yeah. Oh, you'll know. He no, flails around like like he's having a fit. And I get pissed the fuck off. Here's why. A bullet, unless it's right past your ear, it makes kind of a snap because of the sound barrier being broken. But the zip, if a bullet's close, sounds a lot like a bee or a hornet. My animal brain identifies. I was in a, I can't remember if that gunfight was four or six hours. I was literally, at one point, laying on a striker hatch with rounds hitting all around me with an M14, shooting bad guys, 
And all it was was pink, 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 like holes in your uniform kind of shit. I shouldn't be alive. And because of that, my animal brain has identified that noise or something like that with that. So it instantly spikes my adrenaline and does all these things. And I'll give you this. So I got diagnosed by the clinical social worker I work with, Miss Williams. Mm -hmm. You met her. Yep. I came in one day and in, in the army you have something called the blue button, which is a program basically where you can see all your dig digital medical records. I'd been seeing her going through psychotherapy for a while prior to the program we were in. And I got a diagnosis. Yep. Chronic P PTSD, but cleared for duty. Cause I joked all the time. My PTSD with that diagnosis made me better at my job. They used to put me on point cause I could break an ambush. It's like I have a sixth sense. Hence evolution. Evolution, right? <laughs> which is why I said that. Anyway, she also put anger and anxiety. So I read this right before an appointment with her. I go into her office, and I'm sitting there, and it's a, it's a shrink's office, right? So she's like, let me finish paperwork. Nice old lady. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just foot shaking. I'm pissed the hell off. She has her lights dimmed. She turns around and says, how's your day going? I'm like, it was going fine. Like, I'm heated. <laughs> and uh, she's like, crazy, she's like, right. Well, she's like, so what's wrong? And uh, I go, I looked at my blue button. She's like, okay. Uh, she goes, so what's the problem? Like, you said I have anxiety and anger issues? And she and she and Get she ready. I'm like she goes, so what? She goes, so what's the problem? I said, first of all, I ain't scared of shit. I said, second, I said, uh, I don't have fucking anger issues. And she kind of laughs and she goes, You told me when people stand too close to you in the line at Walmart, you want to hit them in the throat. I said, Yeah, I didn't say I did it. And she goes, Okay, hold on. Take a breath. She's like, let's go back through what this is. And she she talked to me about anxiety and how the, I believe it's the hypothalamus dumps adrenaline. And hey, yours is like the size of a golf ball. The average person's is the size of an almond. When you have stimulus that affects things, your body dumps at least micro doses of adrenaline. So skip ahead. And I we left. I left out of there feeling okay. But that next Sunday, well, it, well I got to finish the story. So that next Sunday, I go to Walmart. <laughs> and it's at like 3 o'clock in Georgia. Church is out, everything. And I've, I had forgot to do shit because I usually avoid crowded places. I can deal with them just fine, but people will ask me, hey, are you okay? Because I'm like different person because I'm getting these stimulus. So anyway, I go into Walmart. From the time I left my house to the time I was back from Walmart was about 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. I was in and out, but there were so many people, so much stimulus. I sat on my couch when I got home, and I felt like I had just done a 12-mile ruck. I was wiped out. I was just sitting there like, Jesus. And then I just remembered her and I's conversation because I was crashing from all the micro-adrenal dumps. Mm -hmm. And I started laughing my ass off. The next weekend, I'm in her office. I came in and I said, can I give you a hug? And I gave her a hug. I said, I'm real sorry. I told her that story. We laughed about it for a long time. And it was, your animal brain can't react faster than your rational brain, which is why Doc Rigg has testified for guys who've push their wives on military bases when they've backed them into a corner and are berating them and won't let them go. And they're like, well, just let me out of here because they're getting these adrenal dumps and they almost can't help it. And that's not an excuse, but we went through that, all that in the program. So it's really interesting to learn those. Well, and, and, and what I was going to chime in on is, is you're getting that microdose dump, just boom, boom, boom. Right. And it's just firing off on receptors. The backside of that evolution is that your body has learned not to process it as quickly. I want to clarify something real quick because I'm confused. Is it your 
your rational brain can't act faster than your, your animal? Anim no, your no. animal brain reacts first, right? So Right, so your rational brain has to be so this, second. I'm going to use this to highlight an example. When we're out on the range, that bee goes past my head, and you'll see my hand come up, and I'll get pissed off and have a reaction. It's like, dude, chill out. It's a bee. Because, but the difference between maybe you and me per se. And he's saying he's telling that, himself that, dude, chill out. It's you've a seen that. Right. You may be like, wow, that's a crazy reaction. But my brain has associated that sound because it's very similar. It reminds my animal brain of the saber-toothed tiger jumping out at me. Right. And so I've got the adrenal dump and I'm... The emotions that go with that, the kill switch just got flipped just a little bit. Mm. And so I'm like, mother, like instantly all the things that go with an adrenal dump. And I can consciously look at it and go, yeah, it's a little fucking tiny bee, whatever, dude. And that's, yeah. and that's the part after the fact that you have to learn to train yourself to go, I'm overreacting. And that's what a mm. lot of that course was about. Or program rather, it, it was a lot. Of yeah, stuff. that's a lot what of that. Stuff. Well, that's but, but what the therapy it, I just got done doing was talking about, like sitting in your emotions, right? So when you get yeah. triggered, when you go into a trigger, you have an anxiety moment or something like that. Not to run from it, but to sit in it, right? And, and there, process. That was the program to, I went through in Bethesda. At okay, same okay. type deal where it was just sitting that. What is? Yeah, that? it was. It was yeah, incredibly impactful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It Crazy. helped me through so much. Oh, that yeah. was one of the best pieces of information. How Tears they, and all. Yeah, right. how they broke down the 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 physical parts of the brain yeah. and their interaction with our body and how we process information and how like Sam or, or Sarge talked about we can it enlarges mm. right and then we can create this but we can also go the other way we can retrain these pathways right. and we can get these and, that's and then it's like you learn to re yep. once you sit in there you can rationalize and you get comfortable in a space and you can create this new physical reaction right. to that same trigger you're, what you're doing is building neural pathways well, you're right. building new ones and, and the, the yeah. animal brain what it's doing is just reacting right and it's creating this huge chemical dump the rational brain is trying to catch up to it and go mm -hmm. wait a minute that's just a bee well or, yeah. that's just and, squealing and tires. what i did to couple with that therapy that's one of the reasons why uh i switched to smoking because before my cannabis use was almost always edibles right and i was using that because of prostate i thought it may have prostate cancer I, I still don't know what's going on with that um but the edibles were what i was using for that and then uh but I deliberately had switched that because of the therapy and I understood that I was changing neural pathways and I looked into the research on cannabis and how, you know, a lot of the, it was a lot of negative research. But the one thing that was a negative was that it does change neural pathways, right? right? It can create behaviors and that's why it's bad for people who are addicted because if you have a negative thought process if you're depressed or something like that and you start using cannabis, it will reinforce that negative pathway right and so i thought oh that makes a lot of sense so what i can do then if i'm reprogramming these neural pathways with these techniques sitting in my space and reprogramming my rational response to this and creating new triggers then i can also use the cannabis to help further right. enforce mm -hmm. that and i think that i accelerated those neural growths yeah, so much absolutely. because 
And in within about three to four month time frame, I broke through so many different paradigm shifts and have released so many triggers and have created a completely different space. That's why the psilocybin research really interests me because I know how it directly reinforces and creates so many neural connections. <laughs> like when we talked about the stoned apes theory, um, but to the to the point of the program where what I was going to say, the reason. I had been cleared for duty two other times with chronic PTSD because a lot of culturally in the army, they just put you out. But my diagnosis is they wrote it a very specific way because a big thing of it, because it's the animal brain is hypervigilance or hyper awareness. A lot of guys just want out and they're like, it's causing other problems because they can't control stuff back home. For whatever reason, I was able to compensate. Matter of fact, my guys used to say I'm two people. We could be inside the wire at the fob. I'd be hanging out. I could be cool. We were outside the wire. It's like a kill switch gets flipped. I'm a two different human beings. Mm -hmm. But the hyper-awareness when you're out there, if we leave the cave and there's saber-toothed tigers, that's very useful. Well, you know. Very useful. Kudos to the Army for using that specific therapy for soldiers that are coming back for the PTSD for well, the anxiety they're because trying. they're that, trying because I'll they tell you need what it everywhere. I, I really yeah. wish that was more available because I really hadn't used the military and I, I tried to use the the VA for therapy uh, at one point and then most of the therapy that I've done has been but I've went through four different therapy programs before I found this one yeah it wasn't readily accessible and it was all within the same line of research well and, well, and it was I just got lucky to land on this specific therapy that provided me this information well, it, that, it that, isn't readily available that's that's how I ended up at Bethesda I just happened to run into a doctor who had a, a psychiatrist who had worked there that moved to Fort Gordon, and he was like, I think this would be a good program for you. And I'm like, get after it. Let's well, do it. And even Doc, Doc Riggs' program, so I, w I don't know how long you were on a waiting I was on a waiting list for six months, and I was stationed at the home oh, of this it was, program. It was like a month. <laughs> well, you were also on a process for MedBoard, but— No, um, not at the time. Not at that time. Oh, that started then. That's, That's right. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I played some politics. <laughs> right. Uh, but I told him on the graduation of the program, because I saw Doc Rigg fairly regularly anyway, and he's known as the brain mechanic in the Army. Yep. Um, I told him, I, we, well, me and – because there was another guy in the program who was actually in my battalion in Missoula in a different company. I was sitting there talking to him, and I was like, dude, I knew you. Battle of the Missoula, like his platoon was across the street. Anyway, uh, I said, if you, we need this at every – anywhere there's a brigade combat team in the Army, this program needs to be recreated and put there. And we all told them that. Well, even in the Marine Corps. Right. Well, like, and I, Period. Like right. if, if there's combat brigades, regardless or however the Marine Corps Well, and for, a, for right. commanders and everybody to go too for education on what it is. Well, that's, that's – that's, that's Because – That's because of an underlying problem, and that goes with the stigma – that's attached to PTSD and mental health issues. And, and that yada, was the yada, problem yada. we had with it. But I, I told him, like, I'm like, look, if you ever got to testify before Congress, I'm your guy. And he said, okay, because it should be everywhere. And that education should be there because when I first got by my diagnosis, it was purely because of TBI, it was TBI and PTSD program in Schofield barracks. Uh, a buddy of mine who had been our sniper section sergeant when I was in recon we were kind of peers. Uh, he ha we happened to be platoon sergeants together in Hawaii, and I have a motor tick. You don't see it very much now because I've kind of been able to de-stress and stuff because it gets way worse with stress, but my whole body will twitch. 
happened after I got blown up three times in one day. Neurologists said they won't give me any meds for it because the side the the side effects of the meds would be worse than the twitch. But I'm like, look, it's embarrassing. But that buddy of mine said, hey, you need to go to TBI. Your your twitch is getting worse, man. So I went there, got diagnosed. I went into my command at the time, and I said, yeah, I just got diagnosed with PTSD, joking around. And they were like, but I learned kind of what it was. And I said, and they're like, yeah, man, I don't know. There's an automatic negative connotation in the room. And I looked, I said, and honestly, based on what they told me, you got it, and you got it, and you got it. Anybody who'd been legit in the shit, I'm like, you all have it. And they're like, no, I don't think so. I said, yes, you do. I just learned what it is. It's not what you're seeing in movies. It's not this bullshit. I'm like, read the, and I ended up having to show my commander the write up, like, hey, here's what it says and what, because it's like, yeah, you're fully capable of doing your job. Mm. Here's this thing, though. And, but the problem is, like I said, we went to the program at Fort Gordon, Georgia, where you have a bunch of radio operators and computer hackers for the Army. They're not the guys kicking indoors, shooting people in the face. And that's why I said, this program doesn't belong here. I'm glad it's somewhere. It needs to be where the guys who just came back from, you know, clearing a bad area full of Al-Qaeda or See, fighting it, it, in Ramadi. This is where or, him and I kind of disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I think you guys touched on something that uh, I want to elaborate on a little bit more, and that is overcoming stigma, right? Because there's a lot of that. And I think, you know, especially if you're dealing with something and you have anxiety or you have PTSD or you suffer from depression, right? There's, we have so much negative connotation associated with that. I've seen that with my mother after my stepdad died. My mom went through a terrible depression. Should have been, right? There are sometimes, there are bad things. Justifiably (laughs) so. There are bad things that happen. There are sometimes you should be depressed. And if you're not, then that would be on, you know, that would be a problem. Well, then you probably are a psychopath. (laughs) Right, you know. (laughs) And she had such a hard time recognizing that. You know, encouraging her to seek help was so difficult because she couldn't just come past that, right? And I think there's a lot of things out there that just relate to that, whether it be, uh, you know, other personality traits that we talked about before, right? Right. There's stigma to that, well, you shouldn't be a violent person, right? Well, no, that isn't true. Right. Being a violent person isn't the bad thing. Right. Well, and it's kind of like what I said earlier. When in it was context, that, it's it was a necessary that, thing. It was that, that mm-hmm. stigma of I should be feeling this mm-hmm. way. Like, I don't understand Which is it. why I said right. it. He went, yeah. Right. As well, soon as he said it, it was. So I want to touch on that as a person who's never been in that situation. Congratulations, man. That's all I can tell you. Right. <laughs> Thank <Like>, God. <laughs> who. The who am I to ever tell someone how they should and should not feel about doing something I've so, never had to experience? So, 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 and this is where this is where Sarge and I kind of disagree on whether or not this program should have been at Fort Gordon, uh, and we continue to disagree about it. And you're talking about two alphas that will literally look like we're about to go to blows. We've had people. <laughs> like, then, we went on vacation together, and this shit happened at breakfast, right? <laughs> like, we're screaming at each other. And then it was like, well, hey, we man, really do you want another cup of coffee? Yeah, then, we, then we walked out of the car, and we're like, dude, check out this funny reel. Like, right? literally, everybody's like, like, what the fuck is wrong Like, these two motherfuckers is out to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's the th- – so trauma is trauma, right? And this is one of the things that I learned going through this program. Um, so you might wake up in the morning and stub your toe. All of a sudden, now you're afraid to walk around your house barefoot. Well, that's trauma. Like It's minuscule by comparison 
Maybe. Maybe maybe to me, based on what I feel like trauma yeah, is. Yeah, but my perception. But your perception right. and my perception, it's all about where you sit at the table. Mm-hmm. So trauma is trauma. So should it be at Fort Gordon? I think so. No. But that's, I'm going to caveat it. I'm going to caveat It's not that I think that I think it was bad that it was there. The right, fact right. that because I have had to date, the number gets bigger every year. I'm going to. Well, you, I, I think what you're 12 probably, people. Well, the point is where you know immediate. Right. Where it's more necessary. Uh, uh, not subjectively it ain't the right works i could have used objectively where people have been in the business directly of killing people and watching people die and a lot of times they're friends right. that program should be surged to them absolutely i agree that and, was my and that's where the stigma of ptsd is coming from are right. those type but see P- but see we're talking about combat right. related ptsd right but it right, exists right. in other places right. Well, right. So, and, and, and this is so this is the point that i kind of stress with it is i agree 100% that it should be like we know these guys are going to have issues right. or it be readily available a percentage for them. of them yes, this, absolutely. this comes back to a concept that i figured out in basic training personal experience <laughs> differs experience may right vary. individual experience may vary yeah people from different backgrounds can experience different things and certain things are not going to be traumatic to them that would be traumatic to someone else for sure and so, vice right. versa so, right so that's and, my like what am i saying right like, who the fuck am i to tell you how no, you should feel because about here's with the, the thing situation you we are all with. because this is this is what i couldn't realize we're all human beings, right? So our reactions, our physical, biological reactions to things is the same. It doesn't matter at what level, right? If you have a traumatic experience in your life and your body reacts in the exact same way as Sarge's body would in a firefight, you have experienced the exact same level of trauma, regardless right. of what the external environment Absolutely was. Right. It doesn't matter. So individual experience is all that matters. Right. The the capability of somebody to handle something or not handle something is all down to who they are and as a person. this is my – you can hold two ideas that oppose themselves in your head at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can, in one hand, say, look, so we were in Fob Falcon one night, me and my platoon sergeant. We started taking incoming fire. Well, a mission we had been on for a time-sensitive target got scrubbed, and he was like, hey, let's walk over to the PX, grab some coffee. We're in there grabbing coffee, and we hear incoming coming in, and we're like, all right, whatever. Like, we just stayed, and we'll just sit down and have coffee. Well, they, a girl ended up coming in with a guy, and she's, like, bawling her eyes out. Guy's consoling her. Like, they're ducking down. Like, he's like, oh, my God, whatever. And him and I jump up, and we're like, we're thinking somebody got hit, right? And we're, we're, gonna, we're like... What happened? Well, so we're taking fire. We're like, uh-huh, no shit. What happened? Um, and the trauma, the fear she was experiencing of, I'm about to die. We were so inoculated. We were like, yeah, whatever. It's nowhere close because whatever, you know, experience. We didn't have that fear. And at the time, it was sort of laughable to us. But after, you know, years and experiences, right. and him and I talking about a lot of stuff right. and, and other things. And the, the where we go back and forth, because he's like, well, you don't know. I personally feel I've seen a lot of veterans manipulate stuff to get paid. Truth. <laughs> but who am I to say what they're saying isn't true? 
that's what I'm saying. I can have opposing ideas in my head at the same time because I know personally I saw some people and heard them say things when I was at Fort Gordon. I only have my perspective and paradigm, right? Where I knew that's what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also conversely say, yeah, this person went through this thing and it was traumatic for them if it truly was. Right. That's why I mean I hold those two ideas in my head about – because there's other guys like – uh, Mike Glover talked about it on Joe Rogan's podcast. He was like, look, he's a 18 Alpha and a CIA contractor, or 18 Bravo and a CIA contractor. He's Special Forces guys. He's like, look, we did. I did better over there. He goes, a lot of us like were like, yeah, let us go. Let's get it. We're good. It wasn't a problem, right? Uh, I think I'd love to talk to that dude because I bet also I could be like, yeah, you got PTSD. These things happen. You're okay with it, though, because you're, you're – compensating mechanism is different than the average human because of your adaptation and biology. But yeah, I can say like the stub in the toe thing, right? Yeah. That might've been that traumatic form. I can hold that idea, but also I have that other bias where I'm like, this is also another problem. And because there's no way to prove it, right? it's difficult. And that's why I've kind of settled myself. Like it ain't up to me. Well, I think that comes uh, like uh, – right. Which when, you said a long time ago. Right, I've been yeah. – Well, and, and, and the advantage I had is I no sooner did I complete that three-week FRP, FRP program, it was like two weeks later I was off to Bethesda. So we held those same beliefs while we were in that program. I went to that program, and I sat in here in this, in this six-week deal with people from every branch, every gender, and I say that because – some of them were Navy guys. But <laughs> that's, I'm just kidding, right? Yeah, liar. <laughs> um, well, I mean, so dude was super cool, but he definitely was into boys, and that's fine, whatever. Like, we still got along. We went to lunch, whatever. I, I mean, he was a good dude. Um, but he'd been raped. And so I'm sitting in here, and as a matter of fact, you met one of them when she PCS yeah. to Fort Gordon, and I was like, dude, she's my people. Can yeah. you help look out for her? Yeah. Right? And she's just an E4, you know, just, just a, you know, a kid. But she'd been raped. Uh, so trauma's trauma. And it, to your point, individual experiences may vary. So you stubbing your toe. So to ask the question, who the fuck am I to tell you how you should feel? Well, you're nobody to tell mm-hmm. me how you should feel. Right. Or to assume but I how could you should feel. flip that right back on you and say, who the fuck am I to tell you? how you should feel about what you believe is your trauma. Well, yeah, I totally, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with that sentiment, you know, because anybody can. Trauma varies, right? right? And, and, and people are people and everybody's different, right? It's in the Bible, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Pretty sure. Right. Everybody was (laughs) some, right. It's different things. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where based on where you came from, you know, talking about alpha and beta males, right? Like, Mm -hmm. This girl that he's talking about, like, she wasn't expecting this incoming and all this. And it, it flipped her her wig. Like, she's like, oh, shit. Yeah, this probably is, did. Yeah, this is end, real life. End of right. days yeah, for me. Life. You know? Yeah. And for guys like us, it's like, I've been hit by incoming. I know if I can hear it, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one you don't it's hear. It's the one you don't hear. Uh, <laughs> I almost had hit one kill me taking a shit, man. Yeah. A couple so, of them. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, it's one of those things. You know, that was something that just put her over the top. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you see people all the time. Like, they, they see a car accident, and then all of a sudden they're afraid to drive. Well, right. You know, yeah. and trauma's trauma. And so to judge somebody or 
assume how they should well, feel like, to me is 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 rude almost life-changing right. moments you right. know for me when uh, i went i first got to fort riley and then i had my 19th birthday and we had a first ntc rotation right and so um we were leaving <laughs> we were uh we were leaving on the flight coming out you know and uh we had pulled up that night and and you know, i was in the bus and kind of seen the plane it had like a little bit of an ominous feeling yeah and i thought oh something doesn't feel right you know but i'm a young kid and i was kind of scared of flying anyway so i shook it off and right you ain't got a choice. so yeah <laughs> and you don't have the option Suck to not up, go buttercup. right <laughs> so uh we get on the plane and uh i'm i'm seated about four four seats behind the left wing and uh we're in about three quarters of the way through takeoff and there's a loud explosion flames go screaming by the window the whole plane tilts to the left and starts falling right and just like a movie i had this like replay of my life like it just like instantaneous i seen like every moment of my life and i got to the end and at a very defining defining thought, I went, what a waste. Yeah. Man, that hit me. Yeah. And there was a lot of people that were on that plane that were traumatized. There were a lot of people on that plane that didn't make a change. But for me, the change it made was... What have I done to this point? I would never get to that point again and think that. Yeah. And I think that's my drive. That was that moment that put me in there like, I'm living a life to not regret. Well, you know, you only get one shot, and facts are facts. Nobody gets out alive. (laughs) Um, And I mean, there's, but there's truth to that, you know. I mean, I went through the same things. I thought when I got hurt, I mean, my, my daughter was two. And I left like she was an infant, you know, and I come home. She's almost two, you know, uh, and here my left arm don't work. Right. Like I'm never going to be able to pick her up again. What did I really do? And all and, and it all came back to if I would had just done what I was trained to do, I wouldn't be in this boat. And I became a mega asshole about training. Yep. Which is what helped propelled me in my career. Same. But, but the problem and, and my wife will testify to this. I started to neglect home life because I knew all these kids. They, I mean, I've been I've been a leader, right? Uh, and I'll use that, and I'll put it in air quotes, right? Like, it, it, depending on who I was in charge of, how they felt about it, but I felt like I was a leader. I've been doing that since I was 22 years old. Right. I'm I'm directly responsible for these kids. Mm-hmm. Like I'm directly responsible for mine too. Going back to, <clears throat> I guess, questioning trauma, like, pff, you're in the States. you got nothing to worry about. And I'm thinking that about my family, mm-hmm. right? And we all know that to not be true, but that's the way I felt. I'm never going to be able to pick up my daughter again, but these guys are counting on me to teach them what right looks like. And if somebody would have taught me what right looks like, I wouldn't even be in this position. And it was the same ki- same kind of thing. It was like... W- what am I going to do? I've got other people looking at me to, to, mm-hmm. for what's the right thing, right? What does right look like? I got these guys looking at me and I'm directly responsible for their survivability. And what a waste. If somebody would have taught me, I would have never had that realization. 
And right. that realization is what propelled me to rise as quickly as I did. Um, you know, and I wasn't raising, you know, I wasn't coming up special forces style, you know, four years in here and fucking in charge of the army. It's like, yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, but I still moved pretty quick. I mean, I made seven and 10, yeah, me too. which is pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, especially for my MOS. Yep, uh, and, uh, but it had to do with that push, uh, and it affected my marriage. It affected the way I raised my kids because it was, you got this, that's your job. I got this so I can make sure you can keep doing your job. Like there was second, third, fourth order effects, so to speak. Right. Uh, but it was that same, exact same. I mean, and you, you nailed it. It was like, what what a waste, right? But luckily, luckily, and this is this is where all this, this counseling and going to different programs and learning how to deal with different types of trauma i can sit back and look at it now and go thank god that happened to me right because if it didn't i wouldn't have made it to where i'm at and you mm-hmm. and, I, and i don't I, I barely know you i mean we met today and i bet money you could say the same thing 100 percent. you know it, it, it that was the wake-up call and i spent the rest of my career like i had guys when we went to, to afghanistan i mean they're slick sleeves they got nothing they've never been nowhere they just left mama's tit mm-hmm Right. I mean, I'm wiping yeah. the milk off their mouth when we're getting on the plane, telling them they'll yeah. be okay. I'm I, I'm thoroughly grateful for every struggle. Right. Every struggle defines who you are. You know, right. we had a we had a moment uh, last summer. We went out to Michigan. We vacation up in Michigan on a regular basis, and we went out and we're avid hikers, and so um, we go out and we'll hike. You know, 15, 16 miles. That is a pretty average day, so that isn't anything out of the question. And we get up there, and there wasn't a lot of hiking out there, and so they had this uh, one hiking trail, and it was like eight miles. And we thought, great, we're gonna go hit it, right? And it was at um, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the place, Sagatok Dunes State Park. And uh, never did I think anything about the word dunes. I just thought it was a cool name. Mm. And so we get out there, and it's like a 90-degree day. And, you know, based on where I was at in Missouri, where we were in the hundreds, it wasn't really that hot. And we were already hiking in considerably hotter weather, so I wasn't worried about it. We get out there, and uh, about two miles into this hike, we're in the middle of these sand dunes. Mm. And it's up and down, up and down. And it's loose, and it's terrible, and it's hot. And you can't wear your shoes because your shoes are filling with sand. And you can't take your shoes off because the sand's too damn hot to walk on. And we're, we realize, by the time we realize how far out we're in, now we're like in the middle. Like these, the, both ways back suck. Right. And I know one, I don't know the other. Right. And so, and so it's me and Ethan and Michelle and we have the dog with us, right? And this gets so perilous that... The, we're worried about the dog dying at this point. Like, the dog is getting ready to give up, right? Little American pit bull terrier, and he's like, fuck it, I'm out, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> my son, the superhero, is leading the way, right? Michelle's slightly behind him. I'm trailing back slightly ahead of dead dog, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're going to keep up because I ain't carrying you, right? And, but I get to a point where... I hit that limit, right? And I knew shit got real. I was like, oh, fuck, I might not make it out of this bitch. And then it was like, head down, forward. Right. Embrace the suck. One step at a time. Embrace Boom. the suck. Go, That's what you gotta do. go. That's the only way. Just one more step, one more step, one more step. And then eventually, we got out. But if I didn't have the experiences in my life 
before that moment, survival would have been in question. Dude. <laughs> so that it reminds me of so when I was uh, helping build the Jungle Warfare School in Hawaii, we we're on East Range. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, to rain. Yeah, well, and we were <laughs> deep in the gulches of each range, East Range because the point was we want them to go through the worst terrain you could be through. Well, when my guys had gone out doing some operations, my first aren't, I remember he came back one night with one of my squads. I'd been working with the medics teaching them how to basically evacuate people with ropes and skedcos. And he goes, Sam, we got to really get everybody spun up on this because this is worse than the shit I went through in Delta Selection. And when we left that field exercise, we said the jungles were so deep and bad, they couldn't get a jungle penetrator in if guys got hurt. And we went to our battalion commander and said, look, we need to, on this course where we're going to have guys operating, have locations they can get guys to that we can have trees dropped in the jungle and stuff just to get a jungle penetrator in. Well, while we were out there, I went in with me, my platoon leader, and I want to say it was two or three of my squad leaders. It's just leaders going in. We're in civilian clothes. We just, I'm like, hey, this week, this is what we're doing. Me and one of my squad leaders was going to actually just camp out every night. Uh, We had rappelled down into gulches, marked a couple areas, and about halfway through the day, I blow my ankle out bad. Like, I can't walk. And we're in an area where they can't get a jungle penetrator to me. I'm walking through muddy, rocky, knee-deep water and then having to try to climb out with climbing ropes and rappelling. And at one point, it's literally putting one hand in front of the other going up and then sliding back. And I'm sitting there going, I have to get out or at least get to high ground. And we end up like at finally it was dark. And I remember I crawled out like a toddler up out of this gulch behind my guys. And my squad leader was going to stay. He goes, you still want to camp out here tonight? I said, fuck that. I'm going to limp back. I'm going to limp back to the car, which took another two hours. <laughs> like, Dude, your military experience is so different from mine. <laughs> <laughs> The the shit you did. Here's my story. Hey, we need you to go down to the motor pool and reorganize that Connex box. Okay? And then when you're done with that, maybe go pull pack on that 60. All right? Not the same. It was something else, but I feel that like, hey, you you have to keep because the option was. Wish somebody would have assigned me some cool ass job. Just like that. die. That was the option. There's nothing cool about that. Yeah, right. I don't know what it, this is not the leg breaking part. That was his fault. <laughs> well, you know what? Everything else of else about it was cool up until. He and now you hurt that up. ankle just standing up. Like, no, and it's the same ankle you see guys blow out, and it was already bad. But the point was. I'm like, I can't ask these motherfuckers to carry me out of here because they're out of water, too. And we're like purifying water. In <laughs> and oh, by the way, I'm the hey, trainer. You, <laughs> hey, I'm the one supposed hey, to get them. You were the dog. You were the dog pool. in that story. And the dog made it, too, man. Dude. So he's still with us. I he made it. He is a champ. Well, they were like, hey, <laughs> let me carry this. Let me do that. And I remember we were rappelling down this one area, and I helped tie off. And I was like. Give me the machete real quick and just lower me going down. Because that was the one thing I could do to be useful at that point because it was descending and I can just kind of hop and use the rope and the belay to cut this shit. And then coming out, it was like, 
We know that road's up on the other side of those two gulch, and Joe's seen East Range. Yeah. I don't know how deep he got in there as a field artillery guy just because nobody goes down in that if they don't have to. Uh, they gun, probably didn't have guns to. Guns don't go down that Yeah, it, was, it is the <laughs> – some of prob- – the the elevation changes in terrain are like Afghanistan, but you have vegetation. So as soon as one guy climbs, it's like climbing a 150-meter mud slick. You have to have a rope tied off. You're making such – it's incredibly challenging terrain. And we were there just to have stuff so the engineers could rope in and cut stuff so they could get stuff to guys to get casualties out. I was a casualty and had to figure it the fuck out. Like – and then I hear about guys like Marcus Luttrell, what he climbed out of in Lone Survivor, and I'm like, my story's funny. My story was a baby training event for that. You, you, know, you, know? What I, you know what I just realized? What's that? Your kids are going to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> because all these parents out there are like, when I was your age, but you're going to be serious. <laughs> like, listen, motherfucker. <laughs> Stop your bitching. No, Damn it. But did talk, you die? Talk, yeah. talk, talking about East Range, so my experiences were nothing like that but uh i did have the luxury of being pre 9 11 in east range and back then to be an officer i thought that you had to be airborne qualified and had to go to ranger school and my commanders and lieutenants we would like to play games like oh the whole convoy just got blown up let's be infantry yeah just walking the yeah. The roads out just, there are like, insane. It's fucking miserable. That's where they run pre-ranger for the 25th ID, and they have one of the highest pass rates in the it's army. It's miserable. Yeah. The, miserable. The four-mile run, you're doing shit like this. Yeah, like the jungle oh. school wasn't even a thing. Yeah. It was just that's where you went to the jungle to play. That's what they said about the engineer unit that was in Hawaii, that it was a light unit because mm-hmm. they didn't do mechanized out there. Mm-mm. You can't right. really. It, I mean, like I said, I had this, <laughs> we're going for a walk, boys. Had, this, had these commanders, <laughs> right? And it was just like, no, we're going to try to do ranger cold. stuff. And it's like, hold up, sir. Yeah, we. Where's we my don't, truck? We, we don't have those cool little tabs and scrolls, bro. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we we got to play, and I didn't have nothing crazy like that getting down in the gulches and whatnot because we got equipment, you know, that's over here you're on the roads and those are bad enough right uh but we did get off into some of that shit and there's nothing like just just as testimony to what he's talking about as far as the environment like there is nothing pleasant about east range at all at all i mean the army is notorious for putting bases in the shitholes of places anyway it's fucking jurassic like you get down into waikiki and you can look up and you see a gray cloud in the sky and the nickname for schofield barracks hawaii is castle grayskull Yep. So, like, the whole <laughs> island is sunshine and, you know, bikinis and, and fake boobs, and then there's Castle Grayskull, and you don't have the power. <laughs> That's where I, you know, where I was. <laughs> That's where I was. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. That, was uh, nice. that sums up travel in the military. Yeah. It, I don't know. I went to Japan and then mm. went to Hawaii. Oh, you were in the Air Force. You don't I know. wasn't in the Air Force. I was a dependent. <laughs> <laughs> Miss me with that shit. Family member. Yeah. Family member. <laughs> Family Miss me member. With that shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? We, we all we all know she's in charge. It's all right. Oh no. <laughs> Look, I ain't mad at you. I'd much rather have I'm a black pink belt, ID. bro. <laughs> Ooh, that pink ID man. What do you mean? I get all the benefits and none of the bullshit. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Trade. <laughs> Shit, man! I don't know. Putting well, up, with, putting up with some. D- of those dude, things. as a as a dependent, you know. And again, here's the disclaimer: my trauma 
<laughs> my trauma, you know, as a dependent, like, dude, there is sacrifice there. Yeah. Know, there really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, like, I, I'll be the first one to say I wouldn't have made it anywhere if I, if I didn't have my wife and she mm-hmm. wasn't who she right. is. And I'm sure she had to write those those guys that you said, those men and women that you had to train before they left, that you took under your responsibility. She, she had she to was, write them as her responsibility. Well, she, she took you know, care she of had to wives. put that mom role on. Not only did she take care of our kids, mm-hmm. she took care of those spouses and mm-hmm. their kids. Like, they were mm-hmm. calling her, and then mm-hmm. she would relay messages to me. You know, via email or whatever. Dude, I've been out there changing to, Jackie's troops' tires because they didn't know what how. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's because she needed somebody to take care of her troop. And I carried shit so they could fucking have a party or do a training thing. Right. I'm like, Eric, let's use your truck, you know. Doing my doing what I can to support her role. Right. You know. And let's go team. You know, like and, and, and like I said, like there's no way I'd have made it without her. No right. way. It's impossible. Like and I and I don't know how much of his story you know, but this motherfucker's a beast. <laughs> like I tell him all the time. Like he's a fucking monster. I don't care what you say. Like this dude, not only was he was he running a business, handling a house, helping his wife take care of a baby, helping his parents do what they've got to do, on call for me. Like this dude is a fucking monster. He's on call for me, right? <laughs> and me. Like he's he's a fucking monster. And I'm telling you, like let a motherfucker step to him. If I'm around, like I might get my ass beat, but he's gonna know afterwards. Like, bro, I was there for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's like, I took like eight of those punches I'm for you. <laughs> he's my meat. I, I, I'll be your meat shield. I slowed him down. Yeah. You had warning. Yeah, I was you the father of the line. You know, but he's like the dog in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's bona fide. He's a monster, and he and he's juggling fifty million hats. I mean, yeah. what like three days a week in training for this, and then out at the range training on this. Uh, uh, are you fucking kidding me? Right. My hardest I'm... decision, no shit, is am I going to wear flip flops or house shoes? <laughs> like that's that's that's. I'm the not high... mad at that life though. <laughs> I got it's so like, I got so jealous. Yeah, so jealous right now. <laughs> As you wear flip flops. As you're wearing some motherfucking flip flops. Yeah, like, like, I'm, I'm I'm dead serious. Uh, like, all right. Basketball okay. shorts yeah. or sleep that's, pants. Perspective. That's you know, like, <laughs> perspective. Perspective. Well, yeah. all you guys collectively as friends have been telling me, "Hey, dude, be retired." <laughs> Yeah, dude, yeah. fucking relax. Damn. You deserve it. There's if anybody than being has earned retired. retirement, it is you. <laughs> yeah. Like, you and put then in anything a good else you do is just for fun. Right. The only do shit for fun now, Sam. You only do things <laughs> right. that make you I'm happy. On chill only what I want to do. Only what you want to do. Like it was what like three weeks ago. My wife just randomly was like, "We should go see Sam." And I'm like, "Well, when do you want to go?" Like, <laughs> what a life. Whenever. <laughs> Tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Like, whatever's clever, man. Well, he he uh. When my parents were still in Colorado, I had another friend who had already had committed from a phone call, and I was talking to him, and he was like, dude, he's got this other shit going on. I, I want to break from some of the shit I'm doing here anyway. To wave him off. Yeah. And he literally drove up, and him and I drove out to Colorado and spent three days getting my parents moved out here from Colorado. Yeah. Like... Well, I mean, so he's got a job. He's got his family that he's trying to take. It's like, dude, you got to take time off of work. The only thing I have to take time off from is ravioli. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> whatever. Chef Boy ID. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know, it just it just didn't make sense. And and you know, it 
it didn't make any difference. He could have been like, no, no, he's already committed. He's already moved things. Okay, cool, man. But if, if he yeah. hadn't, which he hadn't, he was still in the process of doing so at the yeah. time. Yeah. It was like, hey, man, just wave him off and, and we'll make mission. We'll make it happen, you know. But, uh, like, he's been over backwards for me. I mean, I've been out in my front yard contemplating Gross. whether or not I want to stay here with the, the ability and capability and a phone call is made and I'm off the ledge. So this dude's a monster. Like, I, let me catch a motherfucker talking shit. Cause it, look, the older I, I get shit on Sam every day. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's different, different, you know? but, but, <laughs> but that's but your job. The older, that is my job. The older I get, the shorter a life sentence is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. You know, I'm going to find that. the biggest, I'm your bitch and drop to my knees and handle my business. I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive. <laughs> you know, like, give me somebody give me a pocket. Is, is, wait a second. Wait a second. Is that is that alpha male biology? Oh, no, that's, that's prison uh, biology. That's survivor. Survivor. Prison rules. I mean survivor. it sounds like that would be a that would be a survival strategy. I'll be the last one on the island is what I'm saying. I'm the, <laughs> Dude, that's going to be the name of this podcast. It's, uh, the older I get, know, the closer it, I get, or the lower. Hey, it's the not who's best, be. it's who's last, right? <laughs> the older I get. That's right. That's all it takes. I'm here to tell you. I'm not shit. I'm not, I'm not bashful. I'll, hand, I'll do what I got to do. I'm going to wake up tomorrow if I can help it. But, uh, so where in Mississippi are you? So Hattiesburg, actually, uh, about an hour and a half south of Jackson, about okay. 45 minutes from the Gulf oh. Coast, which I, is not a nice Gulf Coast. It's I know, I've been there. Nice fun. I lived thing. in uh, Columbus for like two years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, at, at the Air Force Base. So yeah, I couldn't yeah. imagine Army Base. And uh, it, it, Look, I don't think when they built it, they imagined it either. <laughs> Camp Shelby is nothing to be proud of. Uh, yeah, it's dude, literally compared, like, a, a staging jump-off point. Um for other units to basically get to the port. That's really all it is. And other than that, they use it as a training base. The historical information on it's actually really interesting. Uh, they actually housed Nazi prisoners there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's... Uh, that's where I keep prisoners the, to, Mississippi. Why am I, I don't even know why I'm asking you. The lake that's right next to us uh, was actually dug by Nazi prisoners with shovels. Do you, like do you like huge. fish it and water ski it? Because yeah. that'd be dope. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's some backstory here. What, what, what's your thing again? I just don't like Mississippi. Why? Because he was stationed there. Because it was <laughs> fucking sucks, bro. It sucks so bad. It's just not fun for me. I Mississippi is my trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Said you but I have there. to like that those two years that in Mississippi be. because it was right during COVID. It was yeah, it would be rough. We just moved there. We came from Nellis where I yeah. had a whole dude. We were there at the same time. I've been there since 2014, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I was like, I was in Nellis for five years. I had a whole established community. This whole yeah. thing, and like, I knew what to look for. I'm like, all right, give me the first year, and I'll make a whole new community. Like, right. I was ready to do it because I've moved a bunch of times. You yeah. know, like, just give that first year always sucks. You know it, and you got to just get through it. That first year, COVID hit, and we're locked in. We lived in a well, we live in a 38 foot our travel trailer, ooh. so. We're not allowed to go nowhere. Right. Yeah. And in Mississippi, there's not even there's not even BLM land in Mississippi. Well, I mean, that's a good thing. No, but I don't like you can't even go hike. <laughs> I mean, you can't even go you do can't anything. hold that against us. You can't <laughs> you can't go do anything like right. you can't go out into the wilderness because there's no wilderness. It's so, not private well, property. Here's here. Well, right. <laughs> On the nose. <laughs> uh, 
so here's here's the the thing about it anyway, right? Even if COVID wouldn't have hit and you'd have been able to get out and about and do things, um, you're not part of the network uh, because it's good old boy from the top to the bottom. I had long hair. And? And I was profiled for sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I, would get, I, I would get pulled over all the time. I had Nevada plates with long hair, right. and they're like, I, I get shook, shook down. Well, it, like, did you drive the, the Prius? Is, look, there Hell almost. yeah, dude. What do you think I was getting? If I had my truck where I was driving my truck, I never got messed with. But if I was in my Prius, I got pulled over every time. Right. Long well, hair, look, hippie. Well, that's because you were Prius. in a Prius. I mean, <laughs> I know, dude. I, I have a big diesel. I purposely smoked. I had a diesel, out. too. Well, yeah, but it's, just, it's a Prius. It's a Prius. Like, I'm going to blow black smoke on this thing just for funsies. Um, and I'm going to turn it into fuel. That's cool. <laughs> and then just drive. Right? But I am going to. I am going to. And you wasted thirty dollars okay. to do that. It's okay. You paid for it with your tax dollars, and I appreciate. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. But this is this is what I'll say. I've been there almost ten years, and uh, in that time, have, and it's taken this long. Uh, I have kind of worked my way to the. Like, I'm a hangaround for the Mississippi gang, so to speak, of the good old boy system. Like, I can't even get a patch. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm not from, a, and like, to this day, they still call me a Yankee. And it's like, bro, I have my own tractor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Like, I drive a big diesel truck. Uh, I own property. And they're like, yeah, but that's because we allow it. And it's like, look here, man, I can shoot better than you. I'm sure of it. <laughs> no, I, I like, I can unearth, like, yeah. I can got, feel that completely. Good old I can boy feel number. that completely with um, like the experiences I've had through like the martial arts community down there, which right. I can't say really. It wasn't too terrible. Like they were very welcoming and yeah, on all yeah, aspects, yeah. like yeah. everybody involved. But there was still that like that wall between us, yeah. right? We just couldn't break through. Right. And some of those relationships were just like mutually just said, we're just not going to have this relationship because we were right. both like respectable people in martial arts. Right. We had the conversation like, look, it's just not for each right. other. We're just not going to work together. Well, and here's, you um, know, A lot of people, I would tell you one of the big stigmas about Mississippi is that it's a very racist state. And I would tell you agreed. that the racists actually wear that right on their sleeve. Like, yeah. But what's fucked up is they both, they all shop at the same Walmart. Well, what here's, here's the real thing though. And this is what I'll tell you. Um, the, the cool thing about it is all of those people down there, black, white, or other, Every one of them knows they're in the same shitty pot of gumbo, right? And, and when, it, when it comes down to the nut cutting, which is a very Mississippi phrase, <laughs> uh, when it comes to the nut cutting, your neighbors will be there for you, guaranteed. And that was, that was a very big attraction. Um, even, if, even if you're still kind of looked at as an outsider, they still kind of, it's, we're here together anyway. And if you, it, that mutual aid is a big thing, uh, and especially after Katrina, and and you see it, and you still see it. Bad storms come through, bad weather comes through. Everybody and their brothers out there on their on their tractor with their chainsaw, they're cutting it up, they're helping their neighbors, and not not so much are they just helping their neighbors, but then they'll all pack up once their neighborhood is cleaned up and move over to another neighborhood that's maybe a little bit less fortunate. Um, with that said. There's very much still, I hate to use the word segregation, but it's there. Uh, not like, you know, 1950s style, like back of the bus garbage, right? Um, but there's, there's certainly, this is a white neighborhood. This is a black neighborhood. Absolutely. This is yep. a other neighborhood. 
Um, but but they, even with that, being but they said, all shop at the same Walmart, right? Because and, that's and, the only thing and, there. And, and, and well, and they'll help everybody helps everybody carry their groceries. Mm -hmm. With that being said, you know, mm -hmm. it's not the racists that are there, and they're there. Absolutely. I mean? yep. uh, but they're everywhere. The difference that you see when you come above the Mason Dixon line is it's in the closet. But it's yeah, much more prevalent, and, I, and I'm, I've been all over the country, much, much more prevalent in the north than it is in Mississippi. I hands down, I'll testify, to, I don't care. Because even those folks down there that are racist, they're almost outcasted completely other than anymore it's yeah. a neighborhood within their own community thing. Yeah. right like right it's just yeah we're not going to put up with that Be and and again talking about like how we were talking earlier if certain things wouldn't have happened we wouldn't be who we are if katrina wouldn't have happened i don't it probably would be what the stereotype is but when katrina happened that changed everything down there like people still talk about it I mean, that everybody, like, <laughs> big storms are coming through. You ain't getting a case of water. You better the, already have it. That sheriff who went onto the base. And <clears throat> yeah, uh, Sheriff Billy McGee. Uh, and he's like a hero. Like, he went under federal investigation. This is how tight-knit this community is. Uh, he went on to Camp Shelby. Camp Shelby, of course, you know, they kind of mobilized, and units from other places were coming in mobilizing there. Well, they had ice trucks coming in. And these ice trucks were supposed to be distributed to the populace right and i don't know like don't quote me on the details or any of that right i never really got into the business of it i just know what i know or what i've been told rather uh so you know the military has a lot of bureaucracy right well ice is what it is like it melts that's a thing right it's just frozen water these trucks were sitting on camp shelby waiting to leave to be distributed to the populace and all because of paperwork, they're not leaving. The sheriff went on with his deputies, had a meeting, from, from what I understand. Said, look, I can't force you to go with me, but I'm taking the ice. And he went and fucking got it. And then disseminated it. At gunpoint. With soldiers. Like, standoff shit. This is leaving. You can either live through it or not. Try me. And then... Was under federal investigation for it for a long time. Mm. I think it just wrapped up a few years ago, uh, and he's no longer the sheriff. But he's like <laughs> he'd been voted in several times. I mean, Katrina was two thousand five. Right. He was the sheriff when I got there, and been voted in several times to stay the sheriff. So when I say that community's tight knit like that, like he's a hero down there. Uh, the the entire uh, uh, prison complex that's right there in Forest County is Billy McGee, like his name is on it. And and there's something to be, I mean, that's some, you want to talk about some alpha male shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, he took on the, like, he took on the military. Like, who's got the large swam. Johnson here? <laughs> yeah, dude, right. we heard that thud. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, so, so yeah. but with that being said, you know, you, you start getting into the politics of Mississippi. There's a lot of corruption, a lot of stuff like that. And I won't, I won't get into all that, but, um, is there a, like there's a bunch of tire companies there? Yeah, so right? tire and, and all. Uh, that, yeah. Like uh, I think it's Yamaha or uh, Yokohama. Yeah, is that it? Yokohama, Yokohama, Yokohama or whatever. The roads are so bad. I think it's a conspiracy from tire companies to <laughs> right. sell more tires. Well, let me tell, I can tell <laughs> you, got, you why the roads are. So you know how many tires <laughs> I bought in two years? Right. Oh look, I just had a whole. I got yeah. my truck is up on on its haunches right now because I'm having ball joints redone. Uh, in my own shop. Uh, but uh, that ties into the corruption, 
right? So, you know, this mm-hmm. federal money that comes down, you know, things get bidded on in contracts and I'm not politics. exaggerating when I say potholes the size of my car. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it's crazy. But a, a lot of that's got to do, and, and the, the one credit that I'll give to Turncoat Tate, uh, which is <laughs> my name for him, uh, which is our governor, uh, he, he, he stayed with the you know, he, he towed lines, so to speak, as far as the COVID stuff went. Like, yeah, you're not locking down my state. Um, and he's, he started to kind of root out a bunch of that crap. But uh, but it's still pre- very prevalent. Like, there's old money down there, mm-hmm. real old money. Um, and, you know, money talks. Everything yeah, else is bullshit, you know. Um, so... It, it, it's getting better, but, but, you know, a lot of my, my big issue is when people start talking about how racist Mississippi is and it's, it's really not, it doesn't exist that way. Um, like I said, everybody knows they're in the same shitty pot of gumbo. Uh, well, that's, I, that's I think that was the point that I was trying to make to people when, uh, and it was, I don't remember what time frame, but when racial tension got really high a few years ago, right. Oh, yeah. And there was this stigma out there, especially against, you know, white male, right? Or that you're in a predominant white area like where we live, that there's some stigma that like what you had alluded to earlier, that everyone is racist, you're just hiding it, right? right? And that really offended me because when you look around, it's like, no, I could have five or six white males in my house. And if somebody came in and one of them members were being a racist, we're not going to tolerate that. I was not going to accept that. That person yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, it's okay. He's just that way. Yeah. No, yeah. we would be equally offended and he would be asked to leave. That's not socially acceptable. Right. And that, re- and so yeah. I think that there are, there are th- things out there that are misclaimers like that, that I don't, I, I wish people understood wasn't well, the way that they assume that they are. Just because at- you're white and you're a male doesn't mean you're immediately a racist person. Right. Or that you're going to tolerate somebody being openly racist. Right. You know, right. that's not uh, that that's not something that should be thought of. Right. Yeah. No, not at all. Well, and, and, and like I said, you know, Mississippi just owns that stigma. You know, Mississippi, Alabama, that whole area of the mm-hmm. country really just owns that stigma. And I would submit uh, as far as Mississippi goes they're there and and. At the risk of sounding racist by saying this, there are more black politicians in the state of Mississippi than there are white. And that's, like, you can look it up. Like, I'm not making that up. Well, I mean, the community that I lived in, I honestly feel it was predominantly black. Right. I mean, even the the military base. But the community mm -hmm. I live in is, right? It it just, it's, but it doesn't matter. That's what I'm getting at is it really doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. You know, and people will throw various racial terms around. Right. Like it's part of the culture and you just you kind of go along to get along, so to speak. Like you can call it out and be like, hey, man, I don't appreciate that. Like you're not going to say that in my house. And I do it all the time. I'm not putting up with it. I don't care. I came from Peoria. Yeah. Right. Like I came from way up and on a different side of it. Right. Um, You know, I grew up in the south end of Peoria, which is like I was a minority. Right. Numbers wise. Uh and uh, so I, I just won't put up with it. And I just say, I'm not going to put up with it. Like, you're not going to talk like that here, you know. Uh, and then, oh, man, you know, no, I don't know. And it's not happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's just not it, – it, it, it's kind of offensive to me when you get people like uh, Whoopi Goldberg, who's made comments recently about, 
that's the one state that if I could fly over it and shit out of the plane or whatever, piss out of the plane on it, like it's like you don't know you're not from here. Oprah Winfrey is from Mississippi, right? right? And I mean, and she's got her own thoughts and whatnot, and she grew up in a different time. But I'm telling you, Katrina has certainly changed the mindset on a lot of things, on mm-hmm. a lot of things down there as far as racism goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and people don't realize that the time frame matters too. You know, yeah. um, one of my uh, southern offices is in Farmington, Missouri, which is, you know, really now probably not thought of as really a country area. But, you know, That's you, you go back 15 years, it, it is. So um, there was a time, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where being openly racist in Farmington would have been socially acceptable, and people wouldn't have thought too much of it. And uh, so, you know, you fast forward to 2008, and I have uh, I have a black gentleman working for me, and uh, some guy came in, and uh, he was looking around, and, and he had made the mention that he didn't want that guy doing his tax return, and then decided to refer to him as the racial slur and left it at that. And so nobody here will be doing it then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. See yeah, you later. So we asked him to leave. Right. Yeah. That's how that went. Right. And he was refused service, and he was asked to leave. And he was so appalled. I, that's why I remember it so well because I remember his reaction. He was so appalled that he couldn't believe that that wasn't okay. Right. And that was just 2008. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right now, there's no way in the world somebody would think about doing that. It would be such a rarity that it would be considered out of context. Well, and like you said, you know, like earlier you said, there's no BLM presence really there. I mean, that in and of itself is a testament, in my opinion, of how that racial divide, while it exists, certainly, it's not... I guess as dramatic would be the right way to phrase it, maybe. Um, again, everybody knows they're, I say it over and over again, everybody knows they're in the same shitty pot of gumbo. So it's, I, I don't have time to be mad at this dude. I'm trying to make my way. Right, right. And if he can help me make my way and I can help him make his way, we're going up together. Uh, and, and, and that really, that sense of overall community exists. And then I sound like a hypocrite because I say, well, I'm still kind of an outsider and I've been there for 10 yeah. years, you know. Um, but it's really it's it's we didn't grow up together. You're not from here. It's that. Yeah. Right? No. I no. Exactly. I was told. Right. I was asked mm. not to open up my own martial arts gym. Right. When I when I first show up, I'm not two months in. Right. And I was like, hey, you can train here, but don't go up opening up another martial arts gym. Right. I'm like, that wasn't my plan, so don't worry about that. Right. But damn it's like that yeah. you know it's like yeah. that don't go don't go do your own thing well, and, and like some that of that exists. Japan shit right there yeah, right? it was a little well, it, and, and some of that exists because people that are from there are trying so hard to, and there's no major industries anywhere right like big name companies like i think nissan is currently i think building a plant there i think it's nissan um and that'll bring in a lot of jobs but there's really there's really not much as far as like there's nothing for kids to do nope you know there's <laughs> there's really no like you either you know the community or well, you don't it, it's like and... a bad country song like you have <laughs> your pickup truck you have your four-wheel drive you have your shotgun and you go hunt until it's time for you to go Dude. work in the oil fields and hopefully you don't end up a meth head hopefully 
Because that's how little there is to do. What country song is that? That's a bad, all of them. A bad all one. Of them. <laughs> yes, me. I don't listen one. to country music. Dude, there's like that, <laughs> that's, all, that that's all we did. We found a, a dirt road we could drive. Yeah. And, and I was we weren't allowed to train and stuff like that. So I would run. One of us would follow in the truck. We'd run the road three and a half miles in the middle of the woods. And then one would get out and the other one would run it back. Right. And that's how we stayed in shape during COVID was just running a dirt right. road three times and a week. And that's just, all we did. Wow. There's very little entertainment to keep kids. And I'm talking like kids. Yeah. Like I, got, I got little kids. That was right? brutal. Like, <laughs> like there's not a lot of public parks. There are, but there's nothing to do there. It's yeah, just, or, there's, a, there's a grill set up at the pavilion next to a lake. Yeah, like yep. what? it's so funny how the world reacted differently to that. Like I was living in Farmington at the time, and we didn't even know COVID was happening. Like our world didn't change at all. Yeah. It would be times that I'd come north and I would see mask ordinances or things, and it would be I'd be reminded like, oh, this is a thing. Dude, yeah, people yeah. are doing that. Yeah. And because when you went back to Farmington, it was like, yeah, yeah, no, we just opted out. Well, I have to say Mississippi really didn't lock down too hard, right. but with us, Jackie being military. And the ki- I have t- two kids with immune compromise, however you say it, you know, immune compromise. Yeah, there you go. Big word like mayonnaise. right. And we didn't know where we're, where we were at with the COVID thing. We didn't know how serious or how whatever. And we're just like, you know what? We got a kid with a heart condition and a brain condition. We're just gonna lock down for a little while and see where we're at. Right. You know, yeah, it makes sense. And once we kind of got through it, it kind of was like, okay, now we figured it out. You know, um, we were good. Yeah, I, but, I, I I could imagine being brand new to that area at that time would have been very difficult. Um, but like I said, you know, I'd already had myself, I'll say, well established in the community mm-hmm. at the time when that kicked off, as well established as an outsider could be. So I, it didn't affect me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's, I mean, I, I was in line to to run the water company for my my little local area and uh because i'm not from there i I attribute it to this because everything that i left them with like this is what needs to happen that's what they're doing but Mm -hmm. it was we just don't want you to be the guy doing it because well peace out girl scout i got my money right (laughs) you know you're you're yeah those invisible glass ceilings are real aren't they yeah you know i mean i'll talk it up you know you got you know there's just societies like you know I don't know what Masons, for instance, mm-hmm. are very much like that. Like we take care of our own. Uh, police are like that. We mm-hmm. take care of our own. Yeah. Uh, Martial arts. Yeah, lot, yeah. You know, a lot of communities are like that. Motorcycle clubs. You name it. A lot of communities are like. And and the South Tribal. is very right. And the South is very much like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that they won't accept you. It's just you're not going to get full membership. At least not your outside generation. The next one, yeah, sure, but. Uh, yeah, wow. you know, but that's that's just the changing of the guard, so to speak, is a generational thing. Right. Uh, but to stay down there, I would tell you, with these pins and screws that I've got that hold me together, uh, I don't do cold weather very well. Yeah. Well, Mississippi does okay with that. Uh, that's right. She <laughs> <laughs> uh, does okay like with that. If I could get further south, I would, but I don't speak Spanish. Uh, I don't think you need to. Well, to get as far south as I want to be. Like, <laughs> here's the equator. Here's me. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I just don't speak the language to, to do it. And I'm not interested in learning, uh, for, for all its flaws, this is still the best place to live, mm-hmm. uh, for now. I mean, they're, they're trying, but even when they get through, it'll probably still be the best <laughs> place to live, uh, hopefully, but we'll see. I don't know, but, 
Yeah, it's it's. I get kind of like I said, I get kind of offended because it's where I call home. Right. You know, um, and uh, I mean, and that can change at any time. But right. you know, I'm not I'm not immune to moving. But uh, it's where I call home, and and I like it there. I, I got decent weather most of the year. I you know I I, I grow my own groceries to the best of my ability, uh, and. I enjoy what I'm able to do, and I get from well, like as soon as I get back home, uh, early next week, like I'm on the tractor and I'm I'm getting my dirt ready to plant, uh, which is something I think y'all have to wait like another month to do. Yep. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Hated for you, <laughs> uh, but I'll get two or three harvests in 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 one season, easy. Um, so I mean, you know, but that's that's what I do. I mean. Uh, and, but yeah, and I think that, like I, we were talking about this earlier, the coldest it got this winter was like 28 degrees. That was the coldest it got. Now I don't hmm. think y'all can say that. That's probably the warmest weather y'all have seen in months. No, it got it got down to 20s. It was yeah, no, minus yeah. in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were 20s. Yeah, uh, negative. And even then, like me, nope, no, I'm not going outside in that. I'm not. I'm not. I don't mess mm. with that. Uh, that's pain. Uh, on a level that's uncontrollable, and I don't, I don't mess with pain meds or none of that. I just suck it up, Buttercup. You yeah, know? it does rain a lot in Mississippi, though. Uh, what's that? It rains a lot down, down towards the coast. Yeah, uh, you get a little further inland, not so much. Um, and we get quite a bit, though. I will say, uh, but we don't get snow. Yeah, and, that's true. And I'll that's take that every so. day, all day on Sunday. You know? That's why everybody muds is because. Yeah, that's what you yeah. can it do. Is, it <laughs> is rare to meet someone who is living in a location that they actually choose to be, right. and that is uh, <laughs> that is not often the case. We all find ourselves sometimes landing in destinations and being stuck. I would say the vast majority of folks, like yeah. mm-hmm. like uh, what do they say? Like even in Iraq, like most of them folks never they never mm-hmm. get fifteen miles out of, from where they were born. You know, so I think there's a lot uh, more people in the world than just Iraq. I think societally, a lot of people, right. most just, people, most right, people yeah, don't leave. I had a, uh, well, they don't like to leave what's familiar. I had one right. of my guys tell me one time, they go, you're like that Dos Equis dude. I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they go, you're the most interesting motherfucker I've ever met. And I'm like, nah, they go, you've been everywhere. I'm like, nah, but you don't realize over time all those things. And then it's like, this kid was from a small town in Alabama. Yeah. And him being in Schofield Barracks was like, you know, he was the most interesting dude in his hometown now. And he's like, you've been to Egypt, to Iraq, like, you start going out like this. He's like, this is insane. And I'm like, yeah, but it was, I was working, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was fun. Individual experiences, maybe. Yeah, I'm like, right. this right. sounds cool at the time. I was like, God bless, man. I, mean, I, I was stationed in Boca on recruiting. Right. Right. Boca Raton, Florida, like that's, that's mm-hmm. you know West Palm, all that, you know. Uh, yeah, my wife and kids loved it. <laughs> I, all I got to see was the inside of schools, my office, people's houses. Like, hey, come join the army. We go out to dinner. Hey, waitress, waiter, come here. Let's join the army. Like this, I'm selling twenty four seven. They went to Sea World, right? Like, duh, <laughs> Sea World. Yeah, this guy, nah, sit your ass at home. <laughs> like, go put people in boots. Keep this. Keep keep us accustomed to the lifestyle that we're used to. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's true though. You get everywhere, but you're right. Like most most folks, like to be able to to settle down and be like, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I would say as of late, like a lot of it's become like, I don't even know if I want to stay there. Like I've been telling him for like, I'm, I'm thinking about, it. I've been watching this show or was watching this show on Hulu uh, about these houses down in the Bahamas, <laughs> right? <laughs> they come fully furnished and apparently you can live really well down there for like six grand a month. And I'm like, ha, how convenient. That's exactly what I'm making. <laughs> 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 I don't have to do nothing, like walk out the back door and I'm on the beach and I got I got somebody bringing me drinks with an umbrella in it. I'm cool with that, you know? Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's one of them. Uh, so I have to ask you a question. Yes, sir. Would you say that you feel that you were living a successful life? Well, it's relative, isn't it? <laughs> well, I asked you the question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you define success as? I would, uh, well... We're all parents here, right? And so I think what every parent wants is for their kids to do better than they did, right? And uh, I know for a fact that I have done phenomenally better than my parents. Um, like out of the ballpark to the point where my, my mother has said that to me. Um, and... Uh, not that I ever really needed the validation. Um, it's about what you measure for success. And to me, initially, it was I just want to do better than my parents. So I've, I've been married to my wife 21 years. It'll be 22 this year. My mom can't say that. Most of my family members, aunts and uncles, they can't say that. Uh, I've raised my children, right? And they're successful. They're doing their things. Um, so I feel yes would be the, the quick answer, but I haven't done everything that I want to do yet. So it's like I say, it's kind of, it's kind of, well, a, you still look fairly young. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on the path, right? You can be right. successful and still be on the path. Right. Well, that's, right. that's it doesn't mean your journey's over. Right. And, and success so, doesn't have to be an end point. Right. Well, and, and that's why I say it's kind of a, I don't want to say trick question, but I feel like I've been successful up to this point. Uh, I do feel like there's more to follow, like much more. Like I, I have some some goals that I've set uh, mm -hmm. that I that I hope to accomplish. Um, and I can I can I can also say this as as being a guy who's fully retired. Um, that was the biggest thing. Like I don't have to work. Like mm -hmm. I was telling him, like I'm probably when I get home, I'm after I get my garden put in and everything. After that's just maintenance, I'll probably go get a job, just for something to do. But it, I'm gonna tell him I'm gonna work nights and weekends. Oh, we need you to cover on Thursday. And I'll be like, Nah, bro, not me. <laughs> <laughs> that's you, the wrong I told one, you yeah. when we started. Like you, if you need me that badly, you're not gonna put me on the schedule for that. Uh, and, and if they decide to get froggy and say, Well. If you can't do that, then don't bother coming back. I said, okay. <laughs> like my bills try the paid. next one. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't care. Um, so, like I say, it's about where you kind of measure it. Um, I feel up to this point that I've been successful and, I, and, and fortunate and very lucky. Very lucky. Uh, but to say that I'm a success, I, I, I wouldn't because I feel like I'd be bragging. I feel like I've done better than I was expected. Would you define yourself as lucky or grateful? Both. Both. Like, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to differentiate. Like, I'm very lucky I didn't die several times. <laughs> uh, 
and it was purely luck some of those times um but grateful that i'm still here and and i can put some of that on, <coughs> on this guy uh because i've been in some dark places uh and with him in my ear saying hey man like you can come back this way uh, as of shit <laughs> it'd be almost a year uh come april it'd have been a year yeah uh and uh yeah i've been i've been in some places where i get in my own head and things just aren't working out the way that i, that I wanted them to well that comes back to what we talked about with triggers Right, it takes a lot of pressure to get somebody to a point to where they want to say, "I want to end my life." Right, but once you get to that point, you've created that neural pathway, you've created that trigger, you've created that destination. Right. So you've got a highway that leads there. So the next time that you have that moment and that same trigger occurs, it doesn't take the same amount of pressure. It's right. now a faster route. Which is mm-hmm. basically then, what I told you. Right, and oh, that yeah. is no that is a trigger that is very difficult to try to even address because even with that one the techniques that we know work is you got to sit in that moment right how long can you sit in that moment right safely right right so it doesn't matter how much you're working on yourself once you've been there once the path back can be almost immediate well and what i figured out was the catalyst to that trigger for me uh was alcohol Uh, and i don't have an off switch i just don't like if if i crack one I'm, i'm i'm cracking them all uh, and so once I removed that catalyst and what happens is, so the way I described it to my psychiatrist when I was seeing him regular is there's a 55 gallon drum and it's sealed. Right. And when I come to talk to you, we're just going to talk about the rainwater that's falling on top of that lid. That's what we're going to scrape off. So that way I can be ready for the next little bit of rainwater. Well, when I drink and, and I, and I get after it, that lid opens up some of that shit starts to come out and a lot of it has to do with um certain individuals that uh would be in my presence and they and i'm sure you've run into this i know he has we all do it's you're a vet and you've done things that that i could never have done and blah 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 blah. and they try to put you up on this pedestal of you've done these wonderful outstanding great things and while some of that may be true, you don't feel that way. Oh, yeah. I don't. I'm nobody special. I'm nobody extra. I'm yeah, not. I get really uncomfortable when somebody thanks me for my service. Right, right. I, I don't like that. I hate it's it. It's like, what are you thanking me for? I didn't want to go. Right. I didn't want to be in. Well, it, like it, I, I don't understand. I tell people all the time, it was a job. It's what yeah. put bacon on oh, the yeah. table. But you volunteered my own to do something. Yeah, I had that my own made selfish it motives. Well, you can't, but right, you still right. did it. Well, so <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I volunteered for what the college money for the stability to have a roof over my head for I told, a good job. I right? told the news reporters I didn't volunteer to go to war. I came. I came back in after September 11th, right? And you know, all the recruiting stations had lines around the door, right? And I've got source docs in hand, mm-hmm. ready to go, right? I just want my old job back. And so, the, the recruiters, you know, they're looking for for. Well, just like I was, like, how can I advertise my business, so to speak? Uh, They had the news crew come out, and they wanted me to talk about patriotism and loving my country and blah, 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 and all this other. And I said, I don't know a motherfucking soul in New York. None of them. I got three kids that need fucking dinner tonight. (laughs) All bullshit and aside, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I love my country, of course. That's not the question. Why are you doing this? Because I got people looking at me. 
and wondering where is my next meal coming from? Where am I living tomorrow? Right? How's dad paying the rent? That's what I got. It's about them. I don't give a fuck about all these other people. And I love y'all to death. Believe me, y'all pay taxes. I get paid. We're cool. Right? But at the end of the day, I did what I had to do because of my family. If mm-hmm. I could have done it another way, that's what I would have done. I didn't know another way. And some of that had to do with the environment I come up in. I mean, I had a couple of choices. Uh, I just happened to make this one. And it led me in the right path. Or put me on a path. And then I had to make decisions throughout, of course. you know, But... Uh, it had nothing to do with pay. I didn't come back in because of patriotism. It had nothing to do with it. I was no, see, when I made the decision to go in, there wasn't there wasn't even a thought in my mind that the possibility of going to war was ever on the table. I went in for purely college money. I went in for a job training for a career that I thought that I was going to have when I was done with the military. I went in because I wanted to be a part of a team, and it sounded kind of fun, right? Right, The physical challenge of it. You know, I was an athlete in high school, so I thought it was like just a bigger team, right? The idea of like actual sacrifice, of really doing anything that involved what what you're at really signing up for right. wasn't there well, so like that the, and all of that happened by force you know that's why i tell people like with the fighting they ask like you know they look say you know look at what you did in the army and you did this and you did that and i tell them the stories and and they say uh you know oh my gosh you know you you were so t-. i said you know i don't look at any of that as toughness i didn't have a choice it's like, if you fell out of that ruck march, you're going to get an Article 15. If right. you do this, you're going to... And I never pushed myself. I right. said, you know when I really learned about myself is when I started fighting. Because then nobody's making me do it. I have to do it on my own. And everybody's okay with me quitting. Right. <laughs> in fact, it's encouraged, especially if they think I'm going to get hurt. Right? And, and more so and in society. that taught me way more about myself than anything that I did in the military. That's funny because we got three different people around the table for three different reasons. Because I did come back in because I wanted a piece of that. Oh, I came in initially because I, I wanted a piece. Never went in the military. No, the, I thought that would have been the outcome. The first time I got out because it wasn't happening. First time <laughs> I fought for an airborne ranger contract because I wanted to do what my family had done. And then when nine eleven happened, I was on my my old unit was on the patch truck first unit to go from drum my company i thought i was getting called back they just couldn't find me because i'd moved so much the recruiting offices so i wanted back in because of that but i went to the recruiting office like three times and decided to not do that opted out (laughs) it's just funny because you hear everybody with individual experiences i will say after my first tour in combat i'm like "I, i did what i came to do well i didn't do what i came to do when i came back in i very much I wanted to go to, I was either going, I either wanted to come back in to go special forces or I really wanted to go Delta. And then I trained to go to Delta selection, even working with second Ranger battalions, personal trainer, cause my first aren't hooked me up with them. And, uh, then my first wife after my first deployment was like, yeah, I couldn't deal with you doing that. And I'm like, well, that shoots everything I wanted to do in the foot. Uh, but because where I was at financially, then I got stuck. Yep. So I spent the rest of my career not doing what you wanted what, to do. What I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I still did some kind of cool stuff, but uh, wasn't near what I wanted to do. Uh, Joe and I talked about it 
many times the back end of my career the last 10 years it was indentured servitude yes 100%, 100%. 100%. i had some cool moments but i was not that guy who was like oh i just love being a. I love being here and dealing with what I'm doing. Plus, the military was starting to get highly politicized. I was watching a lot of shit happen I didn't agree with. But, hey, we signed in deaf. Yeah. As soon as you were over 10, you were you were in until you retired. You didn't get a choice. Right, really? Well, I mean, I, Army. when I initially came in, it was under the same type of deal. Like, I wanted airborne. I wanted infantry. I wanted a LURS-D unit, which is long-range surveillance detachment was they're gone now right well yeah but i mean we're, we're talking you know last last century uh <laughs> i know i went to lurch selection right and uh you know it just wasn't in the cards i got to meps and they were like yeah you can't hear and i was like huh and they said you can't hear and i said huh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then they said well we'll let you be artillery and i said what's that and they said well you shoot a really big gun that has really big bullets and make really big holes in the earth and i said that sounds cool and you know, like, that's the perfect place to send somebody who can't hear, I guess. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Um, you know, and so now I have, uh, you know, even worse tinnitus, but whatever. Uh, he already but, doesn't hear, so it's fine. <laughs> in those first three years, that's what I wanted to do. Like, let's let's go. Like, let's let's go fuck somebody up. Uh, and it just wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening. I was like, you know, fuck this. I'll go home and go to school. Uh, and the cool thing about Illinois uh, is it's one of the one of the only things, um, in my opinion, and opinions vary, but uh, they pay for all of your college tuition if you're from there, right? Uh, and you're military, so it's like this is perfect, right? I'll go to school for free. Uh, and like I said in, in the intro, uh, or in my intro, I guess uh, it was. I got to my guard unit and I was like, nope, no way. And then September 11th happened. It was like, absolutely no motherfucking way. Uh, and I've got a family like these guys are going to get me killed. And I know we're going like, it's mm -hmm. not, it wasn't a question of, right, are yeah. you it's when are you right? Um, so it was kind of like, uh, I got to put bacon on the table. It, it was all about my family. Um, now did I get to do a bunch of cool guy stuff? I suppose, if you want to call it cool guy stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really have any regrets, but it's the same type of thing. You know, I, I hit I hit my, my well, I was, it, I was at 12 years when we were in Afghanistan, and that's just when my reenlistment window come up. Uh, and it turned into signing my in-def contract. And then shortly after that is when a lot of that politicization politicization started happening and it was like i don't this is not what i came here to do uh and i couldn't wait to go home couldn't no. could not wait to be through but i'm so close to the end of the tunnel like i don't know if it's a train or if it's a light bulb but i'm gonna go you know uh and it turned out to be a light bulb and and here i am you know fully retired and loving life well as a proud oh, yeah. american I, I i mean it's refreshing to hear that honestly yeah i mean <laughs> You guys, how you mentioned, you know, it, it's it's hard for you to have someone say thank you for your service when the patriotism that I have, and I'm sure that you have too with your wife being in the service, I appreciate the dedication and the sacrifice you guys made in that time. You might not think it was a sacrifice, but it was. Well, I agree with you. It's, it's but the, I think the way that, that and, and nothing against what you're saying, I think the way folks look at it versus the way we look at it, yeah, it was a sacrifice, but 
for us it was a different thing like we went we went to silver dollar city last year right and like we're at the kids part of silver dollar city he's there with his daughter and i'm over in the corner crying i mean i'm and look i'm man enough i almost wore a pink shirt here i'm in touch with my shit right say what you want okay get on your own <laughs> nothing wrong with the man that's right. right that's right god damn it so pink thong right now <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, pump, pump the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I'm I'm over here because I'm looking at it like that's something I never got to do with my kids, right? Now I don't look at it like my career took that away from me. I don't look at it like that. I made decisions and I stand by my decisions. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a hint of, uh, and we just talked about this. Yeah. A, a hint. It's not jealousy. It's just envy, right? It's like man, you're so lucky. You don't even know, and he'll never know how lucky. I think he is for right. being able to do that and mm-hmm. me not being able to. Well, see, like that's where it's like I think he's trying to say is like writing, like our appreciation. It's not me saying like I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal. I'm not trying right. to put you on these things. I'm trying to say you've done things so I didn't have to. Right, your exactly. volunteer service, exactly. you went over there and you did something, regardless of your reasoning. Right. It doesn't matter. You did things so me sitting right here didn't have to do those things. I didn't have to have those experience. I don't have to have that t- well, try to thing. And that's where the appreciation comes from. Right. And we, I think yeah. we all respect that. Right. I, I like that. That's what I was going to say. I think we all, that reframes it for me. Um, I think, I think what it is though, is at least what I'm, I know I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but it's just hard to hear mm-hmm. because we don't really feel like we did anything special. At least I don't feel like I did anything special. Well, I also think that ties into it's hard to take compliments. True. Right? Right. right. And, a lot and of I think that's something, that. yeah, I think oh, a lot of people have problems with right. that. And I think that that's something I've been trying to own myself. And I started to think a while back, I changed how I looked at my own achievements or myself and not so much just in a sense of confidence but just owning it because you know at the end of the day it's like i put in a lot of work to achieve that i didn't just luck into it maybe if i lucked into it then feeling like okay like think like you know i I feel that way with like uh, i had a friend of mine she was a very attractive woman and people would always comment her on her physical looks and she was like thanks i grew that way like, you know, like, thank you for complimenting something that had nothing to do with me. Right. right? I, didn't you know, I, did, I didn't make this happen. <laughs> compliment me on my effort that I put in. Look at my outfit. Look at the makeup. Look at something else and give me a compliment that means something. You know, recognize my effort. And then it was like you had to look at yourself and then recognizing your own effort isn't right. conceit. Right. It's like, no, I did achieve that. Right. That's okay right. to say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's okay to be proud of yourself. Well, but I, mm-hmm. I also think part of that having stayed as long as I did I mean it's almost 21 years um, it, it it's kind of you get kind of you've, you've kind of drank the Kool-Aid at that point and so there is a certain amount of I don't want to disrespect the organization which would for, for me be the United States Army of stand here and go well you're welcome because it feels like I'm, I'm a spokesman or a representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, at least for me, like part of it uh, or another part of it is kind of like when somebody says, thanks for your services. Hey, I really appreciate it. You know, it was just a job. It's what I did to put bacon on the table. But I appreciate it. I mean, I'm not going to be conceited about it. It's all about respect, honestly. Right. And, and, and it understood. But at the same time, what I wrestle, what, I've, what I wrestle with uh, is 
I, I appreciate you thanking me, but I didn't do it for you. And I know I didn't do it for you. And I think we understand that as well. Right, honestly. right, right. I, 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 I'm sure that's part of it. Um, All but see, good deeds. But here's the thing: is like, if you didn't do it, right. well, but there weren't guys like you who didn't do it. Someone was going to have to. Truth. Well, but see, and so here's what happens, and this is this is why I say alcohol is that catalyst, right? So I get around these guys, and that 55 gallon drum opens up because they start doing that, and I'm like, man, you don't understand. I'm so glad you didn't have to. Well, I don't I, want that for nobody. I want to recognize you and congratulate you on being able to come to that realization and notice that you have a catalyst and it's alcohol. Whether it would have been alcohol, whether it would have been sugar, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Or, you know, do you pick your poison, right? right? But I think that the ability to be able to recognize that you mm-hmm. have something in your life that is contributing to this unhealthy behavior right. and then removing that, that kudos. Yeah. Well, and that's it. a lot. Now, see, that, right. yeah. <laughs> that means something. something. Well, I mean, and not that the other doesn't, but that, it's like. Right. Yeah. Like, that, as a person who, like, ha, like I grew up with alcoholics in my family and mm-hmm, things like same. that for the same kind of reasons. Yeah. And to see others be able to kick it and mm-hmm. to be able to be able to just at least have enough self-awareness yeah. mm-hmm. to put work into it. Yeah, I had a, a similar relationship with alcohol where mine wasn't terrible. I wouldn't define it as as a bad relationship but like you had mentioned like catalyst because of the other things that i was dealing with it seemed like it would put me in a space that right. made me more susceptible to those things right. exactly and when i started not necessarily with the edibles because i still drank quite a bit when i was doing the edibles because the edibles was mostly a night thing and mm. i wasn't really high and then when i started switched to smoking that kind of killed everything else. Like I don't, I, I don't smoke cigars anymore. I really don't. I drink hardly at all. Like you know, I, it's a very minimal thing, and right. it's just like, and so all the toxicity of those other things just kind of went out the window. Right. And it's like, oh, I got to replace it with this much healthier, much better, much more sustainable habit, right. and not have all of this bad stuff that associates right. with it. And and it was a good choice. Yeah. See, and, I, and I ran into the same thing after I got hurt with everything. Like the army at the time. They, they, they were just oxycotton. They were just passing it out, right? right. So I'm, I'm getting bottles of pain meds. Like, and when I run out, they just say, hey, go get some more. And yeah, it's safe. It's crazy. Uh, and I had to come to that realization when I was popping two oxycotton's and, and four Percocets just to get out of bed and going to work as a, as a, as a leader. Well, you need to come back on another podcast. And we need <laughs> yeah, to talk okay. about well, that whole, whole yeah, that's all that whole experience. pharmaceutical topic yeah. is something that we plan on diving into mm-hmm. quite well, a bit in the future, like especially it, with nutrition and some of the other right. things that that's linked. To. And that all comes back to the behavioral health, right? right. Mm-hmm. A, a hormone regulation and, and all the things that yeah. your nutrition applies to. So, well, I mean, but, and that's like like I said earlier. I just don't have an off switch, you know. And and I realized that, and it was time to it was time to just. Well. Cut it out. It was a pleasure meeting you. Yes, sir. You yeah, sound like absolutely. somebody who is living in, at least in my definition, of what would be a successful well, life. Yeah. It sounds you're like, fine, you found it sounds like you were on a good in, path. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I'm glad that uh, Sarge brought you in today because I really, like, I'm glad I got yeah. to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I really I enjoyed today. It was great. I mean, absolutely. It was a good conversation, guys. Yeah. Nice, chill. Got to kind of just lay back <laughs> and kind of yeah. like enjoy the vibe. All right. So we're going to wrap up here today, guys. I appreciate you all sitting through our conversation. Uh, we appreciate everyone out there that takes the time to listen to us. Make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and then click that notification bell so that you're notified when we put out new episodes. Uh, also, stay tuned. we got some exciting things coming up in future episodes. I think we got some release stuff to like some type of like Insiders Club or something like that. We'll have to 
you'll have to keep listening in order to find out what's going to go on with that. We want to wrap up by thanking our sponsors. Again, we would like to thank Malevolent Art Tattoo Studio out of Barnhart, Missouri. Anthony Ferguson over there and his team is excellent. I recommend that you reach out to them. Look in the descriptions and you will see a link. And if you go through that link and mention the Stoned Apes podcast, you will get 20% off. So, Please make us make sure to go visit him. If you are out there and you are looking for any audio, video, or social media content, photography, videography, um, go see our man Elliot Groth at E Groth Productions. Uh, we have a link over to his Instagram page, and when you go over there. You see a lot of examples of his work. Um, he's done work for uh, Sarge's businesses and had put some things out there. He's done some stuff for the 10th Planet and a lot of that videography there. It looks excellent. So he has an offer out there that if you uh, contact him through Instagram, through the link, that he will give you 20% 20 20 off of any service. So that's going to be pretty good. So make sure that if you're out there looking for that, uh, to go see him. Uh, Elliot also owns gateway tattoo studio and gateway tattoo studio is located in arnold missouri and uh he is an appointment only booking so if you're interested in any black and gray realism work uh go ahead and go into the description find his link send him some information he'll set up a time to consult with you if you mention the stone apes podcast he will give you 50 dollars off any half day booked appointment so that's a pretty good deal, especially for an exclusive artist. So he's a very talented, very creative guy, great guy. Both artists that I've mentioned today are exceptional people. And I think that that's what I would really like to highlight, that we want sponsors that really have the values that we have, that share the beliefs that we have that are aligned with us. And so if we sponsor them, we say that they believe what we believe. And so they're good people. and Make sure to go see them. So we will see you guys next week. And this is it. Stoned Apes out.